Welcome into this week's edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney joining you once again to cover all things IndyCar and plenty to get to in this week's episode. Of course, a recap of the Big Machine Spike Coolers Grand Prix over the weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as part of the triple header weekend IndyCar, NASCAR Xfinity, and NASCAR Cup Series all participating at IMS. And Iowa Speedway set to rejoin the schedule in 2022 for IndyCar. It'll be a doubleheader weekend on July 23rd and 24th. Hy-Vee, the title sponsor for both races there. And Justin, I think let's just dive right into our race recap of the Big Machine Spike Coolers GP, the mouthful race name title (laughs) that we have. It's like back-to-back, too. Nashville was a struggle, you know? Can't just say Coke 600 or something. No, no, no. It's it's never that easy. No. But hey, it's better than no sponsor. That's true. I mean, this weekend, it's the Bomberino 500 at, at Gateway. So that's, well, Worldwide well, Technology. Automotive Group. <laughs> worldwide Technology Raceway. It's, at the track formerly known as Gateway. And will always be known as Gateway on Correct. this podcast. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only mention of the uh, sponsor of that track yes. I, will, I will make. Unless we're paid by sponsors. You know, that was weird because um, it's an interesting debate in journalism, when I, which, which where I came up, whether you would put the name of the sponsor in an event in the story or yeah. not. Because you're not getting paid. True. By the sponsor. So, you know, that was always the debate. But then I'm like, you know, if that's the name of the event, but they're like, well, we're not getting paid. It was just, you know, I think it was old school versus new school journalism where we're not getting anything, so we're not going to promote it that way. So a little interesting, a little interesting behind the scenes tidbit because there would always be arguments over how you approach that. Kind of like how race sponsorships, they have to pay extra to be name dropped on the TV broadcast. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, you have to pay for that separate, right? Absolutely. Correct. Yeah, for sure. All right, so our three takeaways, and we'll start with my first from the uh, Big Machine GP, to make it simple. Uh, I think number one, my first takeaway, a lot of hype going into this weekend, maybe not quite the Nashville level of hype for IndyCar, but a lot of hype with this you know, IndyCar-NASCAR configuration together last year. Of course, it happened to IMS July 4th weekend, but no fans due to the pandemic. And this weekend, healthy amount of fans, but it just didn't seem like there was a lot of buzz uh, for the weekend. TV ratings reflected that. I think part of that is just due to scheduling. I mean, it's hard for IndyCar to get a good TV rating when they're not getting a good lead-in. It's on cable, and it's on a Saturday afternoon. Then you look at Cup on Sunday. The race didn't even finish on NBC, but I just thought – for all the hype that I thought we'd have, slightly disappointed in, in the the TV ratings and just even the turnout for this event. It, you you were boots on the ground, so you'd have a different you know perspective than me. I, I thought it was a pretty healthy crowd, all things considered, on site on Saturday. I it just lacked the buzz on TV for sure, but I thought it was a pretty good race. I felt yeah. Um, while I'm I'm against going back to the IMS well, you know, like we do fifth race, yeah, on the road it felt like circuit, the seventh right? race of the season at IMS. It, it, look, it's it's difficult to get excited for the locale, and for me, uh, I know other people are different. Anytime you race at IMS, it's big, but it, it just oversaturation kind of kills it. 
I thought it was a good race. We've seen much worse races at the road course. That's for sure. <laughs> and um, other, you know, worse races elsewhere. So it was a solid event. It just, it, it once again, just felt like a schedule filler. But I will say, I think NBC did a pretty cool job with cross promotion, you know, throughout the broadcast. And I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it, Caleb. You know, they were talking to Joey Logano and talking mm-hmm. to a couple other drivers from from Cup and asking them if they would ever get into an Indy car. And, you know, most of them were pretty receptive. And it was kind of cool. I think it was Joey Logano that's the first live Indy car race he's ever seen which he said it was kind of shameful because he's a member of Team Penske and he's like, they're yeah. right beside us in the paddock or at the uh, at the garage in North Carolina and Team Penske. But he's never been to an IndyCar race and it allowed him to watch it. So I think in terms of the interest between the series, and I think we've talked about this, Caleb, and I think we're seeing it more and more, is the motorsports series need to work together a little more for the eyes of on product. And, you know, I think the, the event is a good event but I would like to see that somewhere else and not Indianapolis. I would agree. And when we've had five races on the road course at IMS, going back to last year's doubleheader for the Harvest GP in what, basically less than 10 months because that was early October. Right. You go or basically right at 10 months, essentially, because that was like early to mid-October. This was early to mid-August. So five races just on the road course for IndyCar in 10 months. It's just, it's too many. And yet, we already know next year on the schedule, they'll race the IndyCar GP in May, in mid-May, and then they'll have this race probably in mid-August, you know, coupled with NASCAR for their brickyard, if you want to call it that, weekend. And we're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get, we're, we'll get to the cup race. I think there's a lot to discuss there um, with that in IMS, because I'd like to address that too. But... What's the alternative? No race? I mean, to expand the schedule to go away from IMS, you need another willing partner. So if the alternative is no race whatsoever, I'm perfectly fine with it. But at the same time, I'm not getting excited by the Harvest GP or whatever the heck they're going to call it. Now, part of that circumstance, of course, last year was the pandemic. But I feel like hopefully we get to a point with the schedule that's healthy enough that we don't need this race. And I'd love to be with NASCAR at least once Maybe even twice a year. I'd love to be. I love Road America to be a, a an IndyCar Cup weekend, Ooh, yeah. IndyCar NASCAR weekend. I'd also like to see it at an oval of some sort. I would love for IndyCar to run on a f- Saturday night and Cup run during the day on a Sunday. I'm perfectly fine, and I know you won't like it because it'll hurt. It'll be a TV ratings a struggle. But I would love to see IndyCar race on a Friday night and then Cup race on a Saturday night. But the whole thing being at IMS is something I could do without. On the road course, yeah. Yes. Obviously, they're not going to do it on the oval because that, that, oh boy, that's a whole other can of worms <laughs> I don't even think we want to get into. But yes. I, honestly, I just think my first takeaway for all the buzz that I felt like there was supposed to be, and the crowd was healthy, like you said, um, the, the infield was fairly full. I wouldn't say it was that full. Uh, the stands were kind of full. I mean, the, the crowd looked decent on TV. I will say that. And in person, yeah. it, it seemed like it was solid on Saturday. But for all the buzz, it just it felt like the actual buzz at the event was lacking, considering what was happening. It's tough when it's not May to get excited at Indianapolis, it's a in good my point. opinion. I, I think that's a great point. 
Um, if I agree. And I know some people will say, no, any anytime there's an event in IMS, and that's fine. That, to you, yes. To me, unless it's May at Indy, it just loses a little bit. More than a little bit, actually. You lose that anticipation feeling that you have when it's May. You know, the kind of the build up, the excitement. You don't have that for a random road course race in August. It's like, oh, yeah, we're at the Speedway. Cool. Right. <laughs> I mean, in a perfect world, if Roger Penske had what he wanted, I truly feel like he would have one race at IMS for IndyCar. It would be the Indy 500. Um, he would probably be open to the GP. But if he could find another solid event, I think he would be willing to say goodbye to it. I know it's great for the for the teams and all that stuff, and it kicks off the the, the month or the three weeks, whatever. I, I get it. But I think in a perfect world, IndyCar races once at IMS. Cup races once. You have uh, IMSA there, you know, potentially at some point down the road, a Formula One race. I feel like he wants to be really selective, but right now... You know, IndyCar needs events, and so for three weekends out of the out of the seventeen or this year sixteen race schedule, we're at IMS. In my opinion, that's too much. I would agree. All right, what's your first takeaway from the race? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> let's discuss Will Power, the winner. Yeah, uh, f- freshly um, freshly grilled up with the uh, <laughs> with the. Um, I don't know what it is with with Team Pesky. We were joking on Twitter about this. You know, like, you know, last year. Or two years ago, it was Joseph Newgarden uh, getting a new grill, and now it's uh, Will Power getting some some uh, some smile work done. So after you know probably the the lambasting he took on this show on this podcast last last week, and surely the uh, lambasting he took within Team Penske, Will Power comes back, dominates the race, fifty six laps led, a tremendous performance out of him. Um, We'll discuss the after-race complaints, which Will Power seems to always have, but you can't take away the fact that he dominated that race. Really, nobody challenged him, you know, except being, you know, kind of caught up in in lap traffic there, and and we'll discuss that. But uh, he's always a guy that bounces back. When you feel like Will Power needs a win or needs something positive to go his way, he figures it out, gets his first win of the season, you know, erases a lot of the bad taste out of the mouths of of uh, his team from last week in Nashville. Gets a dub. He's not going to factor into the championship, but it definitely was a return to form for Mr. Power. And one, I mean, it took a while for him to get that first win of the season, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if he won again when you look at the tracks. I mean, Gateway, which he's run well at before. Uh, you look at a couple road courses, a street course. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he won another race before he closed out the season. But, you know, like you said, with his performance or lack thereof in Nashville to bounce back, you know, it just seemed like he was pressing for a while. And to get that win, you you have to believe that his driving style and just his approach is going to change moving forward the rest of the season. I feel like it's a monkey off his back a little bit. He didn't want to go through an entire season winless, particularly when you're at Team Penske. So... Uh, it was a it was a good win for Will Power, and he's one of those guys that if his his wins come in chunks, so wouldn't be surprised, like you said, Caleb, if he adds at least one more win over the final four races of the year. And for Power, I mean, he already had a a what a multi year extension, is that a right? Two year, I think, which yeah. is normally Penske operates on one year extension. So for him to already have that, 
And for him to be pressing, look, he's a guy who puts a lot of pressure on himself. That's just how he is as a driver. I mean, all these guys do. I mean, they, they're competitive. They want to win. They're very competitive. That's how race car drivers work. But I think power kind of takes that to another level. <laughs> to <laughs> the extreme, potentially. <laughs> but, uh, you know, good for him to get the, that win and, like you say, get the mon- monkey off his back. I will say his wife, Liz, on the uh, PA post-race... Oh, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Sounded like uh, she had a fun time during the Big Machine Ooh, Spiked Coolers GP. So she may have had a couple <laughs> Spiked Coolers, spiked coolers yeah. is what you're saying? She Good may for have. her. <laughs> Why not? They, they were talking to her. She sounded a little disoriented, and then it was like, oh, yeah, she definitely had a good time. <laughs> I am I still remain shocked that nobody has done a story that I know of on the water bottle thing. I feel like it's kind of been covered before. But, I mean, in terms of specific, like, I know, yes, she has a water bottle all the time, but when did it start? Like, has she yeah. always done this with Will? I mean, is it a tr- is it is it some sort of, okay, I'm going to have a water or whatever to start the race, and then I'm just going to work and grind this thing all race? I mean, when did it start? Why do you do it? Has she tried not to do it? Is it something that, you know, I, I don't know. I want details on why it does it have to be it only can be aquafina i don't know I'm, I'm just i'm just wondering it's just it's fascinating because you do not see her without it at a race when well, they show her mid-race she's i would say very competitive as well i mean they just they have very driven outwardly competitive you know emotional type personalities i would say yes she's very emo like she looks as nervous in the closing laps of mid Ohio as she does at the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. Like you cannot tell the difference with her uh, when her husband is is in the picture to get a win, whether it's a, a little race or a huge race. Like she is equal parts emotionally terrified, no matter what <laughs> and wherever the series is. But yeah, it's 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 a fascinating thing, you know, for me. But. Um, yeah, you know, good on willpower to get the win. But, you know, once again, at the end of the race, he's complaining about it's not lap traffic because Joseph or uh, James Hinchcliffe was a lead lap car. He is under no obligation to move over. And and for willpower to go on a tangent about, you know, IndyCar needs to put in the lucky dog or whatever, or, you know, it's just, you know, he just he's always got something to complain about, Caleb. Always. Yeah, that's. That's just kind of his style. I mean, pass him then. <laughs> yeah. Like, he has, you know, get by him. That's your job to pass him. And James Hinchcliffe has no obligation to get over for you. And IndyCar has no obligation to add, to add some sort of gimmicky rule to make it easier for race leaders. It's racing. You know, there's already enough to manipulation of the fields and all that stuff to help lead lap cars and or whatever, you know, when you talk about the wave arounds and blue flags with lap car, all that stuff. Like, you know, get by him if that's an issue. So, and, and he, you know, he won the race comfortably, too. And yet, <laughs> I can't imagine how irate he would be if something had happened to where he lost the race because of it. But, you know, you know, it's that was just racing. I mean, if you have a problem with Hinchcliffe slowing you down, then pass him. It never seemed like Power could actually get that close either. No, yeah, not at all. It wasn't, like he wasn't getting a run on him. Right, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, he was probably taking the air off. You know, he was in dirty air and all that stuff. But, you know, that's racing. Well, sorry, man. All right, my second takeaway what is the deal with Alex Pillow and Honda engines? Wow. <laughs> right? I, I mean, 
he was looking like he'd, he'd have a top five. He was ahead of Pato Award. He came into the event with a 42-point lead over Pato in second place. And then had a 50-point lead, as Marshall Pruitt pointed out, before the engine failure, and now it's down to 21. So cut in half from the start of that race. And, you know, this is, what, his third engine failure this year? And one was in preseason testing. Yeah. And he's going to have a nine-place grid penalty this weekend at Gateway. So, look, I, I get that's an oval, and it's, what, 260 laps, so you can make up some of the ground there. It's not as big of a hurdle to overcome on an oval even though gateway is tough to pass for being an oval track yeah it's not as big of a hurdle compared to say at long beach where it would be massive but still it's just it's baffling that he gets the penalty at nashville they put a new engine in and then there's another issue like it are they tuning the engines you know too aggressively we saw this a couple years ago remember with honda in the 2017 season where they blew a bunch of engines in the indy 500 because they wanted to win and say so they're very aggressive on that. But it's weird that it's happening, and it's happening to just him. Yeah, Newgarden had the one sixth-place grade penalty, what, for Nashville? But other than that, I mean, that's all we've heard of this year. Right, and I'm, I've am i had this uh, conversation with my father who follows IndyCar, and, and he's surprised. I mean, the, the cap is four engines before you start getting penalized. Does that need to be raised to, like, five? Or is that way too expensive for... Because you know you're you're look at Alex Pillow. He's now he's faced a six grid position grid penalty this weekend. He'll face a nine grid position grid penalty as the leader of the series. So I understand that you don't you want to keep costs under control. I get it, but at the same time, you're punishing this driver for something that he really has no control over. Did we have engine penalties last season? Because I don't recall. I thought we had a couple, but not to this level. I mean, they've kind of come and gone since the this modern engine formula era since 2012. Remember in 2012, like half the grid had engine penalties at right. Long Beach? Yeah, that's right. Like the whole top 10 was shuffled back, except for like maybe one car. I think it was like New Garden. Yeah. Um, but you're not having that level of, of problems because they kind of changed the rules, made some modifications, but here it is coming back. And I, it's not as bad as it was in 2012. No, but it's surprising that this has become an issue. And again, one of the penalties was because he had an engine blow up in testing and that was factored in. That's not even a race. Like there's no, and that's what Pelot was arguing. I think in one of the articles I was reading earlier this week, look, that happened in testing. Like this is not, in direct competition with other drivers and teams we're testing it's the off season and the fact that that plays into it i mean that could be one simple modification however on the flip side because of his engine failure we actually have a championship that i can get excited about again yeah but we also it's i i believe it's a conspiracy theory within scott dixon's team twofold a wants to have a shot to win the championship because Alex Pillow blowing an engine late last week seriously helped Scott Dixon because he was having a horrible day. Ended up finishing, what, 16th or 17th or something? 17th. Like, he's only within striking distance with four races left at this point because of Alex Pillow's 27th place finish. If he finishes a podium, it buries Scott Dixon. Not that he couldn't have come back, but he's in a lot worse position than he is now. And then two, 
I don't think Scott Dixon is ready to hand hand the uh, the, the Chip Ganassi Racing mantle over to anybody else. So he's intentionally sabotaging Alex Pillow to prevent that from happening. So if you believe in conspiracy theories out there, think about that one. I don't, but <laughs> if you do, examine that one because it's it's weird, particularly with back to back race weekends having an incident. Uh, again, like you said, it's weird to be unlucky once. But then you really start to question things when it happens a second time. And like you said, Nashville, now back at IMS, weird engine issues. It is baffling. Yeah. You know, the IndyCar gods are forever on Scott Dixon's side. (laughs) I mean, Portland in, what, 2018 is forever proof of that one? (laughs) Right. Just ridiculous. Countless examples, for sure. Survives a cloud of dust. All right. What's your second takeaway? Well, let's talk about... uh, uh, Andretti Autosport a little bit and some competitiveness there over the weekend. How about that? Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi up in the top four. Um, everyone else, not. everyone. Else, but <laughs> two is better than usually one. True, but, but that's uh, two weeks in a row they've had two cars or more cars yeah. competitive. I mean, Colton Herta was super strong at Nashville, obviously, the, all the, the reds and yellows, it didn't work out. And then he was just pushing too hard at the end, trying to chase down Erickson. But he was strong. He was the fastest car on track that whole weekend. But it ends up Hinchcliffe and Hunter Ray in third and fourth. And now this week, Herta and Rossi third and fourth. So the pace is there. You would think they'll be strong at Gateway. Rossi's been strong there in the past. Yeah. You would think they'll have an opportunity for you know more top fives. And then you you got to remember... Long Beach to close out the season, a street circuit where Andretti is really strong as a team overall as far as outright pace. I mean, that should be their strongest remaining race as a team because Hunter Ray's won there, Hinchcliffe has won there. Granted, that was with a different team. Uh, Rossi's won there multiple times. So th- the opportunities there, and then, of course, Herta is really strong on the street circuit. So to me, that's their strongest remaining circuit on the schedule, but also Gateway should provide some options. I mean, Portland is a road course, but it, it runs, I don't know, it feels like there are a lot of passing opportunities there. And then Laguna Seca, hard to pass, but Herta won the pole there and won the race, what, 2019 when they they were last there. So there's signs of life, which, again, I think we expected this, right? We expected them to be stronger after Eventually. the summer break. Yeah. But that still still doesn't mean there's going to be significant turnover because we fully expect that too. Does it give uh, better momentum for Alexander Rossi's team in particular to you know fifth and a fourth over the last three races? They had to have some positive momentum. It's not wins. It's not even podiums. But is it something at least? Something, but. Again, he's a guy who wants to win races. He's not even competitive in the championship. What is he? He's 12th. Yeah. So it's kind of a lost cause there. They have no one who's even remotely competitive. Herta in seventh, but he's so far out of it. I mean, he's more than 100 points back of first. So they don't have anyone in the championship, which I think is shocking. Herta was at least in striking distance last season. Rossi obviously had a, a rough season last year. But again, like you said, they're getting results. Finally, after just a terrible start to the season, minus Herta's win at St. Pete. I don't know. Do you do you think this momentum will continue? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it, to be honest. 
do they win another race as a team before the end of the season? Yes, I think Colton Herta can win another race, and and I still am not. I mean, maybe Rossi, I guess, with the positives that we were were seeing, but he still doesn't have a podium. No, and he, he I mean, has he even led a lap since his last win? I want to say no. He did. He did. Yeah. He led laps in the Indy Five Hundred last year, and did he lead? No, he didn't lead laps this year, but. He's led laps, but again, there was a stretch though where he hadn't even led a lap since yeah. his last win. Yeah, going into last season, it's it was been it's been more ugly, that's for sure, than what we're seeing uh, recently. And I guess that's progress <laughs> for that team. <laughs> I think they win a race. I think the driver lineup. I mean, Ryan Hunter Ray is as good as gone, based on statements he said that we can get to later. And I think we all expect Hinchcliffe to be gone as well. Herta for sure a lock. Rossi, if he can't get anything anywhere else, I I guess he'll write out the contract next year and then try to leave unless yeah. something magically turns around. So there will be a big turnover in the driver lineup. Probably some new engineers, new managing types. But it, at least it seems like there's momentum for them to do something between now and the end of the season as far as getting another race win. I agree. I think they will. Yeah, I, I feel much more confident than I did a couple weeks ago, that's for sure, <laughs> on what they can accomplish. All right, I'm going to get to my third takeaway, Justin. And uh, there is a guy who had a pretty solid weekend. Yes. Do you know who I'm referencing? Um, <laughs> yes, I do. Anything I'm referencing? Yes. Oh, you're talking about Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. That's who you're talking about. Yes. Jimmy Johnson, lead lap finish. Finished in 19th place uh, ahead of uh, Indy 500 champion uh, Elio Castroneves, who had a terrible weekend, ahead of Hinchcliffe, ahead of Chilton, Scott McLaughlin, Renus VK, who won the road course race back in May, Cody Ware, Dalton Kellett, Alex Blow with the engine failure, and R.C. Enerson. But Jimmy Johnson, again, outqualified Scott Dixon, finished on the lead lap. Did I not say I'll judge him after this race? And, and what's your grade? What Are you I, saying he's amazing now? No, I'm not saying he's amazing, but I give him a solid B. I mean, the lead lap to me is huge. He didn't spin. He didn't really turn a wheel <laughs> wrong spin. this weekend. Look, I, we all knew this would be really difficult, and I think it's been harder than even we thought and definitely harder than he thought it would be to transition. But yeah. that said... He had a solid weekend. I'm going to give him credit for it, and I hope people can kind of lay off because I don't know what more they can ask for. It's not like we expected him to be competing for top tens week in and week out. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah, anybody who did was nuts for sure. Uh, the thing with Jimmy Johnson is, and I think that people need to remember, and, and I don't know if it's giving him the benefit of the doubt or just reality, is Jimmy Johnson's 45 years old. He has tremendous amount of experience in stock cars. And what was his seven-time champ? Eight-time champ? Seven-time champ. Seven-time champ. So I feel like um, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But also at the same time, Jimmy Johnson is not at the prime of his career. We saw him struggle in Cup the last couple years that he was in Cup. And even make some mistakes that the Jimmy Johnson of 15 years ago would never have made. 
So not only is it a steep learning curve for Jimmy Johnson and IndyCar, it's also a guy who's, let's be honest, whose best racing is behind him. And that's not bashing him. It's just saying a fact of life that he is on the back end of his career. So I think we need to factor that in as well and and maybe even me think about it. It's like, look, this is not the Jimmy Johnson that won seven cup championships. This is the Jimmy Johnson that struggled to be competitive the last two years in cup and now is struggling, obviously, in, uh, in IndyCar to find his way in an absolutely brand new discipline. So, yes, he did not embarrass himself last weekend. And for that, Caleb is super excited. <laughs> I wouldn't say super excited. I feel more vindicated about this because he was competitive. And I think that's all we can ask for in his first season under the circumstances. Limited testing. He's not running the full schedule. It makes it a lot harder to, you know, get up to speed and be competitive. So good for him. A good weekend for Jimmy. Obviously not competing this weekend at Gateway, but he'll have a couple opportunities to wrap up the season. And honestly, I think he'll struggle at those tracks as well. Right. Um, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Look, we got to remember, and you mentioned it earlier, Caleb, you know, Gateway the last couple of years hasn't been an exciting race. It's very processional. And it's very difficult to stay on the lead lap within well fifteen twenty laps. You're you're passing cars, uh, uh, you know that are so it, it's going to be a difficult challenge. I think for Jimmy Johnson, I'm more excited to watch uh, you mean Grosjean. Grosjean, because Jimmy's not racing this weekend. Correct, but yeah. um, but for know, Grosjean, yeah, yes, it'll be a challenge. It'll be a challenge, but I'm excited to watch it because you know he's tested, obviously with no other cars, but we'll see how it goes for him. And and look, if he gets a top ten, even top fifteen this week, uh, his stock even rises even higher, right? Oh yeah. So I'm fascinated to watch to see how that goes. All right, what's your third takeaway? My third takeaway from the weekend uh, and this race, uh, we have to take a, talk about Christian Lungard. I feel. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm he glad you guy, mentioned it because he de- he deserves he deserves some mention. When we put up the poll on Twitter last week and said who is going to finish with the highest, and we put Lungard in there and uh, Jimmy Johnson, and who else did we have in there? Cody Ware and R.C. Enerson. Yep, Lungard was the clear cut winner, and we were kind of shocked that people went that way. But people, as has been proven time and again, are more intelligent than us because we saw Christian Lungard qualify. What did he qualify fourth? Yeah. And he was fast in the practice session. I mean, he was up to speed immediately. For a guy that had never raced on the road course, never raced in an Indy car, never even you know tested once, right? Uh, for him to do what he did was phenomenal. And while he finished 12th, which I still think is very impressive, you know, he's, he spoke about the tires and really being unfamiliar with the tires and how they go away and, and strategy and all that. Admittedly, he'd done that. You know, all of a sudden is a guy that... We felt okay. Who is this guy? I'm not really sure. Is this just a guy that bought us? You know, bar, brought money for one race. To is he a potential full timer in 2022 if he wants to be? Because I think his initial weekend went the way of being able to, you know, raise the eyebrows of quite a few teams in the paddock. Yeah. So you referenced that poll, and he tested at Barber. Remember with uh, Oliver Askew, maybe like a month or so ago. With the Ray Hall team. So he had the one test, but that poll, 49% of you said Christian Lungard would have the highest finishing position. 27% said Enerson. 
16% Jimmy Johnson, 8% Cody Ware. So those were the, the newbies, if you will, for that weekend. And I forget who I thought. I mean, Enerson, we figured he'd keep it clean, but it was a matter of is his car you know, going to be up to speed. And he was competitive. However, he had a mechanical failure where we expected to be a few laps down. He was. Jimmy, it was a wild card. If he could even if he could finish the race, you know, maybe he could pull it off. Lungard, we expected, oh, he'll probably crash, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he not only had the raw speed, I mean he led some laps. He did all of it too. Remember, he and the team, I believe, had food poisoning and it came from a caterer. I think uh Marshall Pruitt may have pointed yeah, that out. Because the whole, down lap. a lot of the team had it. So <laughs> some pretty hard circumstances, your first race, and then you get food poisoning. That's pretty rough. Now he's going home with a negative, um, negative feeling of American food. That's for sure. <laughs> he comes over to race and gets food poisoning. Yeah, not, come on, America, not great. Now, according to Marshall Pruitt in his cooldown lap, uh, Bobby Rahal said we won't see Lungard again this season. Uh, the Laguna Seca weekend is open on his calendar, but they're European races, both sides of that event, so not going to happen. Also, the food poisoning, as I mentioned, yeah, from the caterer feeding the team. Also sounds like, and I think it was Motorsport and David Mulsher Lopez who had a, a write-up on Lungard. Basically, he's not interested in the ovals, and Ray Hall doesn't want someone who's not going to be full-time in that potential third car. So I'd kind of rule him out, but it was a great debut. I hope he gets another chance down the road. Because Antonio Felix da Costa, the Formula E driver, has been ruled out as well. And I think it was the same reason, not wanting to run ovals. And we'll get to Hy-Vee, the third Ray Hall car, Iowa Speedway here in a little bit. But great debut. And kind of the same with Kevin Magnuson. You hope he gets a chance to race over here again. I hope so. I think he could be a perfect complement to a team that uh, is looking for a road and street course person. Absolutely. So... I feel it's just the latest example of this European swell of interest that's pointed towards IndyCar. I mean, does Christian Lungard even entertain IndyCar if uh, if Romain Grosjean doesn't come over and some other guys? And and then when we find out that it was Alpine that brokered this deal, or Alpine for Alpine, or I'm going Americans. how Crofty says it, <laughs> Alpine. Um, it was, it was, you know, was it suggest, you know, it sounds like what Alpine was doing was, okay, we need to keep getting you in the seat and how about IndyCar to get you some more experience and we can see how you do in different disciplines. You know, is that the first instance of what could be the norm out of some Formula One teams that are grooming junior drivers? Kind of a return to how it was. Uh, in in the during the split era with cart early on, where you'd have guys who would be on loan, essentially think of it like in European football, aka soccer, where guys <laughs> were on loan to other clubs. At times, you know, Juan Montoya, for example, was on loan, right? Yeah, and then he was bounced back to to F one. So something kind of like that. Could we have that more and more? Because IndyCar and F two are pretty similar, right? I mean, there's not like a whole lot of difference other than cars like formula or indycar i think is much more expensive than formula 2 really i would think i would guess the opposite i have have no clue but you know and this all goes back to alonso running the 500 
a couple yeah. of times. I mean, this started it, and then Grosjean has kind of made it, you know, a, a realistic option for for guys, right? With him coming over, but yeah, Lungard, excellent weekend. Hopefully, he can get another shot. Uh, I don't see that happening with Ray Hall this year, but hey, could it happen with another team? You never know. And you know, anything can happen in terms of drivers and and all that. I think you know Lungard could be a prime candidate going forward for several teams, let alone, you know, uh, I, I feel like he's another guy, though, that, okay, if his aspirations are F1, then he's probably going to exhaust every option to try to get there. But, you know, Christian Lungard in 2023 or 2022, when he's run out of options there, is like, hey, you know, I did IndyCar a couple of years ago and, you know, maybe I'll go back. Still only 20 years old. So, you know, would a 24, 25-year-old Christian Lungard entertain IndyCar full-time? Probably. So oh, maybe probably. this is, you know, maybe this is not, you know, a short-term move by Lungard, but maybe a long-term is he's done a race. So, you know, in four or five years, he's not wondering what IndyCar would be like. He's already done it. For sure. Uh, a couple other notes on uh, the Big Machine GP Jack Harvey, finally able to finish the race at IMS. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good for him. A sixth-place finish. Graham Rahal. Yeah, kind of under the radar because he yeah. had been struggling for sure. Much needed really, for Jack Harvey. Really struggling. Uh, Graham Rahal able, able to drive his way through the field. Again, if only he could qualify. Uh, Takuma Sato with a top 10. Connor Daly with an 11th. Um, I think that's big for him and that team still. They need results, I think, to close the season to for him to keep that seat. Really, well, any other driver takeaways before we get to the TV ratings and all that? Really, but uh, have we reached a point with Graham Ray Hall to just say he's not a good qualifier? Like, I think that's fair. I think as we a should driver, just say it. as a driver, he's just he he's not a good qualifier, and he wasn't always a poor qualifier. He's won several poles. Well, in he's his won career. three poles in two hundred twenty three races. I, I would say that's not very good, <laughs> in my opinion. For his level of talent in, in racking up top five finishes, yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's a phenomenal race day driver who lacks the ability to qualify. And he's well. not a bad qualifier. He's just a middle-of-the-pack yeah, qualifier. But a, with how competitive IndyCar is, that's not good enough. Yeah, right? I mean, he's he's got double the wins than he does polls. So he has three career polls? Three career polls. Okay, so he won one at Kansas in 2009. He won one at Milwaukee, I want to say in 2008. I don't know. And then he won one at Detroit in 2017. <laughs> I, know, I when remember he the Detroit one. That's swept all I the uh, doubleheader weekend. Because he yeah. won one that weekend. He won both races, but he only won one pole. Yeah. So I, I just feel like we've, you know, Graham Rahal, he just can't qualify well or can't qualify towards the top of the field. We've seen, you know, between he's been with different teams, different engineers, different cars, different setups, whatever, different tire, everything. I just don't think he's a good qualifier. Yeah, I, I think we need to start saying that. Yeah. Because we talk about, well, if only he could qualify. Well, I think by now, I think we have enough I results, think, yeah. like you said. We have enough of a sample <laughs> size to say Graham Ray Hall's not good on qualifying day. He just, whatever it is, he just doesn't have it. As far as racecraft, though, he's probably one of, if not the best in the field. Yeah, and conversely, there's, you know, I'm sure you could go through the uh, the list of, of polls and point out some guys that had a lot of polls in their career, not a lot of wins. They just weren't race day drivers. They were great in qualifying, but couldn't do it on race day. Graham Rahal's pretty much the opposite. 
<laughs> All right, TV rating for the week in IMS we talked about it was kind of down. Um, I don't think I expected a big number. In fact, I was pleasantly surprised by the number. A point three rating, 502,000 viewers for Saturday. Honestly, they cracked half a million on NBCSN to me. That's good enough. Yes. <laughs> it, it's it's hard to get a good number on a Saturday. And with no good lead-in, again, I, I guess I don't have any complaints here. No, I mean, we've been so used to seeing big numbers that, you know, we're destined to have this for Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, five hundred thousand several hundred several years ago, that would have been massive successful, right? Yeah. So maybe let's put things in perspective a little bit and and understand that okay, this is quote unquote a not great rating, but that's kind of how far IndyCar has come, and still way above what they got for the Texas Doubleheader weekend. Yes, way above. <laughs> yes. So we'll take it. You know, you weren't inundated on social media with you know X percent up and all that stuff. It just wasn't one of those weeks, but IndyCars had much, much worse weeks. And there's also no direct comparison for this event, really, either. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I I, I guess last year's July 4th weekend is kind of the comparison, but even that seems not exactly realistic. It also shows that the apathy towards the event. Yeah. You know, how many people tuned into Nashville because it was a new event and it was glitzy and exciting and they marketed it? tremendously well and then you come back in another race at ims and it just it doesn't have the excitement as may does and so i think that was another reason for the for i don't want to say pathetic rating but not not a great rating is there's just no excitement and it went back to caleb when you opened the show which is just it was just kind of an event weekend it was nothing special about it yeah it felt kind of stale i guess is how i would put it okay Big news announced today, Thursday, as we record. IndyCar returning to Iowa Speedway in 2022. They're partnering with Hy-V for the HyVDeals.com 250 on Saturday, July 23rd, and the Hy-V Salute to Farmers 300 on Sunday, July 24th. Iowa Speedway owned by NASCAR. IndyCar will rent the facility from NASCAR. IndyCar will partner with Hy-V to promote the doubleheader weekend. So, a couple things here real quick. Yeah. What did we talk about? Well, a lot of people have talked about that. IndyCar w- will need to get into the promotions game to have more ovals. What are they doing here? They're promoting this event. And they've tried this in the past with very mixed success. I think the key is is title sponsor. The title sponsor allows you to have a baseline of income. Okay, this is going to cover all these costs. We're now responsible for this. How do we make a profit? All those business things are helped tremendously by having a title sponsor. Whether they're pumping in a half a million dollars or seven fifty or two fifty, whatever it is, you're getting that money. Right, so that gives you a baseline of where you're starting from. And this is a title sponsor who who can easily activate. They've already shown it before during May in their stores. I mean, that's the one thing. It, it's one thing to be a title sponsor. It's another to have a title sponsor that is activating and really getting the event in front of people. High View of no problem doing that with all their supermarket stores across the Midwest. And an in st- its headquarters are in state. So it's in Iowa. Yeah, it's an Iowa company. Um, so it's the right partner, but you know, you're renting the facility, you're promoting it, but I feel like that shows the importance that, uh, that IndyCar has put on ovals 
in general and Iowa in particular, because I feel like it puts on a great event. Look, by and large, it puts on a better race event than Gateway does, in my opinion. Yeah. Not the crowd, obviously, not the atmosphere. But I think when it comes down to the racing, Iowa is a better track than Gateway. So, but you have some issues with this, with this deal. Yeah, it's, well, not necessarily an issue, but I have a uh, a, a question mark, (laughs) a a concern. A concern would be the right word. So, what I found interesting in the announcement, and I understand they're not going to release, you know, green flag times for an event basically a year from now. I'm not asking for that, but I found it interesting that they did not announce that it would be specifically a Saturday night race and a Sunday afternoon race. Am I the only one who noticed this? Like, I thought it was interesting that that was not specified in the release. But they did specify in there that it would be on NBC. Both races would be on NBC. Is that what you said? Yeah. I have to feel and hope that somehow IndyCar is getting a primetime race for that because... We've seen them do the doubleheader, and we've seen the results, and we've seen them racing during the day, and we've seen the results, but with the crowd and all that. So if Roger Penske can pull something to where the Saturday not, Saturday race is a primetime NBC race, that'd be phenomenal. At the same time, if Saturday primetime is not realistic, then perfectly fine going to NBCSN. I feel like this race needs to have at least one race in the evening, preferably Saturday night. And, and then on the flip side, you kind of hope the Sunday race, and this makes it tough on the teams, to be fair, you hope they run one race that's Saturday night that starts at 8 Eastern on NBC, and then the Sunday race, you hope it starts at 1 Eastern on NBC, because then that way people can travel at least somewhat post-race, and you're not going to have like a mid-afternoon race. Now, I think that also is dependent on Cup and where Cup is at for next year. You know, it could be. Does a- it? You're on Big NBC. You, if if the, the the release is to be um, believed. Well, this is Penske was was confirming this. This is according to Nathan Brown of the Indy okay. Star. He, Penske confirmed that both Iowa Speedway IndyCar races next year will be two of the 13 to run on NBC. And I think having them run on NBC was critical for getting High V and Iowa Speedway and everyone sure. on board yeah. for this event because simply whoever gets the races on Pe- Peacock if it's not one of the IMS road course races and and what Detroit one I mean if it's not those two I mean those somebody's tracks are screwed yeah, yeah. <laughs> somebody's getting the shaft um I am going to go out on a limb and in in Roger we trust and say that Saturday race will be a primetime race on NBC I hope so. I mean, to me, a, even if a you have to buy the time, race, think about how miserable it is in late July in Iowa. I mean, it's hot. Uh, it's humid. I mean, it's miserable in Iowa all the time, first <laughs> off. But yeah, heat wise. Now, it's going to cause a problem because, OK, let's say you're uh, a small team. Let's say you're Carlin and you go into Saturday and you have an incident Saturday night. And oh, the next race is at one thirty on Sunday. That's not a lot At of time. One thirty Eastern, which is again, remember twelve thirty. Right. So maybe Central. we're going two thirty Eastern, one thirty Central. But you know, you're working all night to try to repair that car. Yeah. So the teams aren't going to be most excited for that. But I feel like that's the logical way to approach this. Is at least one of these races needs to be a night race. 
and again, I think we can fully expect that they'll have a practice session and qualifying everything on Saturday and then race one and then Sunday race two. I don't think they're going to have track activity on Friday, at least for IndyCar. They might have for support series. I mean, you would hope the support series can come for this, too. I feel that, yeah, maybe. I feel like it's a two-day event. I feel you qualify Saturday uh, for Saturday night, hopefully, and then you qualify Sunday for Sunday's race. I would think they'll do like they've done in the past with the two laps. I like that. I I do, too. I'm fine I with I actually it. like that. So um, I'm down for that. But they didn't do that at every oval this year, did they? I mean, obviously not, didn't he? But oh, well, I mean, Texas—that was the only opportunity, and that's what they did there. Did they do it there? I believe okay. so. Okay, I like it. Um, and you would think initially, I'm like, well, it's going to be the same field, but a lot of stuff happens on la- on that <laughs> second lap, right? You could have one great first lap and make a mistake lap two, or vice versa. I mean, there you're going to have a few guys who are probably both, you know handful of guys both in the top five spots right they just nail the setup but we've seen in the past where great lap one terrible lap two or vice versa so i i like it it's enjoyable it adds some intrigue to it yeah i agree so I, that's why i would approach it maybe just one qualifying session two laps go from there so we'll see where those uh races are in terms of the time of day but i hope that saturday is is a, a night race i don't care if you have to buy the time i think it would be pretty nice i don't think they have to buy the time i mean they have the tv deal well yeah but i'm saying you know i don't know what this fine print is but if you're like okay if you want to be in prime time we have to get some sort of they may get financial one boost prime time race on network as part of the deal maybe it could be part of the contract i would i would pick that iowa race <laughs> yeah i would too because uh, i don't think texas is going to be the exciting night race unfortunately uh okay and then also with today's news with uh, Iowa and Hy-Vee, and again, long expected, but Hy-Vee, as officials confirmed, they'll run a full-time car with Ray Hall in 2022. Sole primary sponsor for the car, according to a, a Hy-Vee official. How about that? Because it's so usually musical chairs. Uh, that uh, means Ray no extra branding like Cheetos or Mountain Dew or whatever. Like It will it's be just, just Hy-Vee. Hy-Vee. Mm-hmm. So that's good. And based on rumors we've heard... With either Jack Harvey, also Santino Ferrucci with some interesting social media posts this week. Oh, uh, really? With a lot of photos on his Twitter feed, and I'm sure on Instagram as well, of him in his high V fire suit. Now, could that mean that he is going to compete in the final three races this season, and that be all that it is? Could be. Or it could be something, you know, he said, like, blessed, you know, for one. So, obviously, something's coming. As yes. far as an announcement Anytime you goes. put hashtag blessed, yeah. there's some big stuff coming out. But uh, no Lungard the rest of the year. So, I mean, Ferrucci right. could be back. Uh, so where do we stand on the Takuma Sato thing? Because we seem to go back and forth and we hear he's probably out, but now he's going to be back. And then we keep going vice versa. So as of right now, what does this team makeup look like? We have Graham Rahal. Yeah. One. And then what? Are we <laughs> expecting no Takuma Sato or yes Takuma Sato? I'm going to go with yes, as long as he still wants to be there. I, I, mean, feel, I, like I it, feel like he's earned the benefit of the doubt to I walk away think so too. when I, he wants to. Well, I mean, maybe not stick around for five more years, but he just most recently won his second Indianapolis 500. I feel like that buys you more than a year of equity it should. with a team. Um, and he's not 
significantly off the pace this year. He's no, he hasn't 11th. been as, as strong as he was last year. But, I mean, Gateway, he's won the pull at, right? Or no, he did he win the pull at Gateway? I know he won I the race he, I think a couple years pull, ago. Yeah. But I also think he won a pull. Yeah, he won a pull last year and he won the race in 2019 over Ed Carpenter. And then he's won Portland. Uh, these last couple of tracks, he's won Long Beach, you know, many, many years ago. But last couple of tracks, I mean, he's had success at in the past. So season's young. He's a guy who usually sneaks in a race win every year and wouldn't surprise me if he wins one of these final four. And a quick note, he has seven more poles in about 30 less races than his teammate, Graham <laughs> Ray Hall. Just pointing it out. Not you take with it what you want, but I feel like he's earned another year with Ray Hall Letterman Landing, which means we have one spot open. Is that Santino Ferrucci next year? Is it Jack Harvey? It sounds like it has to be Jack Harvey, right? Right. Unless Takuma Sato's gone, and then you have two open seats, and it's Jack Harvey and somebody else. So I I don't know. All I know for sure, 100% right now, is Graham Rahal's back. Yeah, he's locked in. After that, I'm not exactly sure what that team looks like. I'm not either, but you you would think that Harvey is leaving for a better opportunity, whether that's Rahal or Andretti. To me, those are the only spots that he would leave for that are viable options. And I don't feel he's shown enough to to warrant Andretti chasing him, in my opinion. Unless maybe you know, he has. I mean, he's been working with that team. AutoNation is one of his sponsors. SiriusXM. I mean, isn't maybe... that weird that you have two? And then once again, it reared its its head on last <laughs> weekend because they were side by side on track battling. It's two AutoNation cars with two different teams. Yeah, yeah. It's always just kind of it weird. was it was kind of hard. One other quick note. Gateway renewed for several years. This is from Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. Gateway finalizing a three-year extension of its sanction agreement with IndyCar with an option for two more years after that. Per track promoter and executive vice president slash GM Chris Blair, Bomberino Automotive Group also expected to renew their deal. So good news for Gateway as they head into the race this weekend. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully we have a more entertaining race. It's, it's kind of hit or miss at Gateway. It is, for sure. Um, as long as the crowds keep coming, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. We talked about that with Nashville. But, you know, I, with so so much limited ovals, having a stinker is really tough. That's That's a great point. All right, so if you agree or disagree with us on anything, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at New Track Record Podcast. Dot com. While you're there, subscribe to our weekly email so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. You can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com, or like us on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. All right, Justin. Yes. Time for the mailbag. And, of course, we have plenty, plenty to get to, which, I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but we really, really do. Just over the last week, just a lot of announcements, as always. Sure. So we'll go back uh, a ways since we recorded a day later uh, this week compared to last week. Kind of getting out of that rhythm, thanks to work events. You know how it is. Yeah, darn work (laughs) getting in the way. But uh, let's see. Eight days of excitement we have to get caught up (laughs) on. Yeah. This is from DC Soda. 
Uh, I definitely agree about the event. This is in regards to Nashville. My rating was solely based on the race, but I think the track and event have great potential. Disagree on Johnson. He's been a great ambassador for the series, and I'll wait until I see him on an oval before deciding his potential in IndyCar. Uh, Also adds, if these were not Texas-level track issues, uh, Herta showed the passing potential, and those long straights make different setups viable. Tons of potential. Well, I think Jimmy showed himself well this past weekend, personally. Yeah, in I know terms many of, think I'm still giving him a pass, in, but I thought he was solid. In terms of, you know, Jimmy Johnson is a great IndyCar ambassador, and Caleb is a great Jimmy Johnson ambassador. <laughs> but, I mean, you do agree with me that he <laughs> was know. solid this weekend. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> I, I mean, agree. come on. Yes. You don't even disagree for once. <laughs> he started in front of Scott Nixon in this race. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Scuba Steve 85 on the topic of JJ I was excited when the announcement came last year that is basically dead now I knew he likely wouldn't be competing for wins the constant spin install bringing out a caution or putting the car in the wall is tiring I understand he's brought more eyes to the sport and that is a great thing but as a fan it's tough to watch speaking of torn up equipment I wonder how JJ compares to EJ Viso at this point in his IndyCar career in terms of torn up equipment I don't think Johnson has really torn up that many cars I mean besides at Nashville that's really about it. Yeah, right? he's 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 stalled a lot when he's spun, but I don't think he's had really that heavy a damage. But even you know having to replace wings here or there that that adds up as well for sure. But the fact that he hasn't been on ovals kind of helps. Like if he was crashing on ovals, <laughs> that'd be a problem. Yeah, financially. Maddie, Maddie McGinley says I walked into the IndyCar paddock Friday afternoon through a wide open gate about twenty five yards away from the gate where they were checking passes. That's at Nashville. <laughs> I think uh, there was a little bit of chaos on yes, where, which I kind of expect first year in a street course. You know, there's not defined track limits or you know stands just like an oval. So I can understand that some people. I mean, I did it in Mid Ohio years ago. Went to Mid Ohio with my brother. You know, we're being directed to park and all this stuff. Now we, oh had, yeah, <laughs> you know, we had passes to get in, paddock passes and all that. But parked, got out of the car, started walking in the direction that everybody else was, crossed over the bridge, and we were in the track. And nobody ever asked us for anything. (laughs) So it happens in a lot of places, folks. Mid-Ohio is kind of like the Wild West where it seems like people can just, like, walk anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be fascinated to know, like, how many people have gone to a Mid-Ohio race without a ticket. I mean, maybe with the expectation of buying a ticket when they got there, but they never had to because nobody ever asked them for one. It's a little tougher now because as you're driving in, they'll scan your tickets from your car. Gotcha. Makes sense. So it makes it a little more difficult. But yes, uh, it is. That makes more sense than the traditional, you know, and it's it's nearly impossible for a course like that because you're parking inside the road course or, you know, very near it. And then you could just walk up and watch. So where are these ticket boots that you would have at like a traditional track? You really don't. Yeah, there. It, you're in line to park, and if you don't have tickets, I mean, you basically just have to get them then and there. And it's it is kind of chaotic on race morning there. A little bit. So <laughs> yeah, I'm giving a Nashville pass on that stuff. Uh, Hunter Smith 062 says the oil can sure do exist, and it's a photo of him holding the Foster's oil can. Yes, sir. At IMS. So thank you. That's thank a, you very much. Also, had, at least one came in that, at the liquor store. Somebody was at a liquor store. Yeah. Uh, B. Wilson underscore 27. 
when I got back to the hotel after the Nashville race, I checked our car for signs that it too had been hit by willpower. <laughs> You're awesome. not a teammate of willpower, so you were not hit. Uh, Leonard PDX. Uh, quoting us saying, these sound like first world problems, talking about the Nashville uh, paddock prices. Uh, yeah, no excrement. Paddock passes cost $1,500. <laughs> yep, that is most definitely a first world problem. Also, 500 Indy 1911. This is the one about the liquor store. Uh, liquor store in New Palestine, Indiana, a.k.a. New Pal. A hashtag oil can with the picture. So, again, thank you for the updates. We were stressed. We were concerned. <laughs> oh, I knew they were We up. are relieved. Yes. After your submissions. And, you know, you know New Palestine has oil cans. That's classy. <laughs> classy uh, what is that? town is that, right on the river. Is that west side of Indy? No. East side? New Pal is all the way down on the Ohio River. No, no, no. No, it's not. New Palestine? No. Or, yeah, huh? Isn't it's it? Indy area. <laughs> no, is it? Yeah. Come is on. It, like, what's the, what's the, what's way down there south? You're thinking New Albany. Uh, near Louisville. All those news. <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. Uh, this from NCAPTEEN185. They're going to use PBJ on tracks for doubleheader weekends with NASCAR. I'm sorry, I'll pass. Horrible ideas. Sounds great at first until the IndyCar race comes and it's terrible like Texas was this year. That in regards to, uh, at the time, the rumor of Iowa and Iowa getting announced. Okay, so then don't complain when ovals go away. If you're not going to go. Also true. I mean, that's that's just the reality. And people need to go. I understand your frustration with PBJ. Totally get it. I know. PJ1 for you new listeners. Yes. But if you want an oval to succeed and you have the means to go, by all means go. Because everybody counts. And without people there, they're not being added. I'm kind of amazed we're going to have as healthy of an oval portion on the schedule next year as we will. I mean, obviously the Indy 500 at IMS, you assume Texas is back because there's a contract, doubleheader at, at Iowa, and then Gateway. I mean, that's five races. That's more solid than I think I would have expected going into this season, you know, for 2022 as far as the schedule goes. Yeah, uh, I agree. So, really, I, I would like – I think that's uh... – the the one oval I feel like you add next year, maybe there's another one you add in 2023, but of course that could just be replacing Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, I guess. True. You know, it's kind of... You, you just think with Eddie Gossage retiring and the, the contract being in the last year, next year, you just kind of feel like that's it. Yeah. Feel like the writing's on the wall there. And, and let's be honest, the racing hasn't been that good there. No, not since what? 20, 2017 was good. 2016 obviously was great, even though it took like six months to complete. 2018 was okay. 2019 was solid. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. But it's 2020 just... and 2021 were rough. Now, Pato Award at least made it entertaining for what? Texas 2? But that was it. Yeah, pretty much it. All right, rate the race, the Big Machine GP. Uh, what rating would you give uh, Saturday's race? You know, I was thinking about this uh, in the immediate aftermath because I knew I would be asked, and I felt like it was a, I would give it a six and a half, I think. Okay. There was a dominant performance up front, so not a lot of excitement towards the front of the field, but I thought there was a lot of racing in the field. Um, I, you know, it, it had enough cautions at the end to kind of make things somewhat interesting. 
and it was some decent strategy. I thought it was a decent environment considering IMS and the excitement. I, I, I honestly feel like a lot was added with the NASCAR angle and talking to cup drivers and the legitimate excitement that they showed watching the IndyCar race. And conversely, they did that on Sunday. I watched most of the road course race for cup and they talked to Ryan Hunter Ray and they talked to, I can't remember who else they talked to, but they conversely did that and asked them, would you ever get any, you know, cup car? Would you like to do that? So I thought the crossover was great for, for NBC and Interestingly enough, too, and I'll mention this here, I was watching the race on Sunday, and they did a Carvana IndyCar update. And I don't know if that's every week during the NASCAR broadcast, but it showed a couple highlights. It talked about the winner. It, it previewed Gateway in that little segment. I, I thought it was a great promotional thing. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it's an every week thing, but it's great activation by Carvana and I think that's another thing of of potentially helping the rating is getting that ad in the middle of a cup race. And Jimmy, with a a top 20 finish, I mean, that's really solid for cup fans. Absolutely. (laughs) You stuck around to see something. You finally got to see Jimmy Johnson crack. I'm just saying in cup, like a top 20 is (laughs) like, I mean, you're the top half of the field. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No doubt. Actually means something. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. You had an on-track pass for the lead, power being Pato. Uh, out of the out of the pits. I mean, th- this is on on the track, not you know a pit stop sequence. But Pato pitted. He, he exits out. Power beats him out. Power never looks back. You had the late yellows, like you mentioned, for some intrigue with Plo's engine blowing up, and then another yellow with a few laps to go. First half of the race, I mean, it blew by, and it seemed like there was constant action in person. A little bit of a lull after that, but again, I, I can't really complain. I thought this was, was a, a solid race, especially. Considering the track, I right. thought this was a really solid race. So our responses, uh, Daniel SEM2004 tweets, uh, he gave it a four. Can't stand the chief wanker willpower. <laughs> also not looking forward to Justin whining about Jimmy Johnson. Any road course <laughs> is just boring without rain. Me whining? <laughs> that never happens. But yeah, it is boring without rain because 2019, that was the we were greatest. Spoiled. Uh, Turn the sprinklers on, Doug. Yeah. That was a, was a legendary race there. Uh, N.K. Harden, give it a six. The last two cautions helped a lot, that in all caps. With the drama up front, plenty of back-of-the-pack action, but not much up front once Will got up front. Uh, Jamin T14, give it a seven in person. Uh, Hunter's Way, 67, eight. Very good road race. I think NBC did a good job catching all the action. I wish the flag man or race control would wave off some of these restarts. All the leaders go early because they know they can. There's never a warning, let alone a penalty, so why not? You know, that's a good point. They used to be more sticklers about that, Yeah, and it doesn't seem like that's been the case lately. Uh, yeah, I would agree, kind of letting it go a little bit. Uh, DC Soda, probably a 7. May have been a more exciting ending without the yellow with everyone catching up. A solid race, which, which isn't usually the case when power wits. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy from HBG, give it a 7.5. Lots of good driving on display. I would give today's NASCAR race a negative 5. Uh, according to stitch seven wasn't overly exciting wasn't boring just a good solid race eaton 73 ryan gave it an eight uh blazak 1286 7.5 would have been an eight if nbc didn't constantly cut to commercials during the most important parts of the race again i when i watch the uh the race on tv well after the fact not gonna lie i was like falling asleep (laughs) <laughs> um but no, i saw day. the race i saw the race in, in person and i watched it 
on TV like on Monday night and I had a golf outing that morning and I was pretty worn out. So again, in person it was great. I can't really speak too well on how it was on TV, but from what I recall, <laughs> it was fine. You you didn't need to watch it because you lived it. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. Lived it. That's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got? Okay, some uh responses on Will Power's braces. Yeah, that, that was uh, a big you story. You discovered you're a you're a sleuth, a real detective. Uh, Hunter's Way sixty seven says this uh, happened about a month ago. Uh, that this happened. Also, in uh, Nick J. Fletcher, I saw this on an Instagram video last week and it made me uncomfortable. His new teeth moved itself <laughs> ahead of clean shaving on the Pinsky contract. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, he said has new teeth moved. <laughs> Joseph very noticeably had them two years ago as well. Excellent points. You know, maybe this is a part of the Penske brand. And then I've, Nick J. Fletcher says black slacks, white shirts, white teeth, baby Borgs. Uh, and <laughs> I'm here to fix teeth and win 500s, and I'm all out of teeth to fix, Roger Penske. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, maybe that was part of his contract. Look, we're going to sign you for two more years, but, yeah, you got to fix that. Uh, let's see. You posted a poll four races ago. Who wins the IndyCar Championship? 38% said Alex Below. 26% said Scott Dixon, 25% Pato Award, 11% someone else. In response is uh, Nick J. Fletcher, just the, the, the picture of Dixon with his rings, you know, uh-huh. a la Tom Brady. Uh, Auto Sport Lab says Dixon, because Pelot never raced at all three West Coast tracks and wasn't good at Gateway last year. And Pato isn't consistent and doesn't stay calm when it's needed. You know, that is an excellent point about the West Coast swing. Yeah. Pelot well, has not raced there. Well, and the fact that... I and mean, not even in lights, either. Right. I mean, Pato's raced there and, and at some of these for lights, I would believe. Yeah. Uh, and you also got to factor that in the, that pretty much Alex Pillow's going to have a blown engine every week from here on out. <laughs> it's trending that direction. True. Uh, Ramsey's underscore A underscore Perez. If Aaron McLaren, SB, and Pato were using Honda Power, I think a word would have it in the bag. How about that? I mean, think about it. You have Dixon, Pillow... They're first, third. Pato is second. Newgarden's fourth, but he's pretty far back. And, you know, honestly, it's only the top three to me that have a realistic shot, unless something crazy. Some, yeah, something crazy has to happen. Yeah, definitely. Leaders take each other out or something. <laughs> yeah. Lap one. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's a three horse race, and I'm not betting against Scott Dixon. Uh, see, I, I think I went with Pato. I don't know why. I just. He's more experienced than Pillow. That's the only reason why I think that. And and Dixon just hasn't really. I mean, it's late in the season unless he's going to rip off like two race wins. To me, it's going to take at least three race wins to win the championship. I don't know. He's only twenty one behind right now. No, no, no. That's Pato. Pato. So how much is how much is Dixon? All right, let's look. According to the official he's standings, four. 34, that sounds correct. That's really not that much of four races to no, go. No, it's not. Um, yeah, and, and the fact that he's only he's third, so all he needs to do is, is finish higher than two drivers. So we're not saying Scott Dixon's sixth and only 34 behind. He's only two behind, two drivers behind, 34 races to go. And you go back to the experience factor with Alex Pillow not racing any of those races. And Pato, can he stay out of trouble? I feel like he can, but uh, you know, especially at Gateway, you get caught up in an early incident, early crash, and Dixon, you know, finishes the top five. It really, really becomes interesting when I we mean, head west. Pillow 
blowing up an engine was like the most dramatic thing we've had in the championship all season. I don't feel yeah. like that's really saying a lot. Yeah, I would agree, but I feel it's about to heat up at this point. I feel like um you know, this this get this weekend out of out of way and then you hit kind of reset. I feel like it's going to get you know, pretty exciting. All right, you posted this tweet and uh me post a tweet? Yeah, you post several tweets. I did. Uh, this week's racer mailbag winner are today's race cars becoming too safe, WTF, and a lot of great responses. Scuba Steve 85, I really don't understand people who get upset at safety innovations like, I liked it better when drivers died often. Okay, psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? I mean, I kind of, if you read the entire question, I mean, put it in context, he's saying, you know, drivers are taking more chances or being more dumb on track because... I don't think that's happening in IndyCar, though. No, I You could argue it in NASCAR. I mean, you could, but I think NASCAR's, you know, yeah, I guess you could argue it in NASCAR, but I... I see the end question that the per, that the writer was getting into, but it came across as silly. <laughs> Very toned down. Yeah. I mean, I, I get the gist, but it still just sounded stupid. This from Elite Flight on the same topic. I thought the genius asking if Kyle Larson should get a shot in McLaren's F1 team was worse. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. You know you missed the mailbag. <laughs> Purely for these types of questions. True. Uh, Kirk Fleener, as for IndyCar, it's never been safer. About time to return to that racy two-mile oval in Michigan. High-speed oval racing. And Bengals, uh, let's see here. Bengals DFW, safer cars. Leads to more aggressive driving. Leads to more wrecks but fewer deaths. What's the problem? There's a link to some study, which I honestly didn't read. (laughs) (laughs) Just being honest. Hey, at least you were honest. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I posted this poll. Still active if you're listening Thursday night, Friday morning before 1130 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the United States. Uh, You have until then to cast your vote. But with IndyCar confirmed to return to Iowa Speedway with a doubleheader next year, which track joins the schedule next? So the options, and again, this poll is live as we record. 39% say Homestead, 36% say Richmond, 16% Mexico City, 9% Montreal. Do you have... Any other tracks you want to add to the list, Justin, or one you want to pick out of the four? Um, I voted. Well, I had a, a write-in vote, but I also voted <laughs> Richmond. I feel like initially I wanted to say Homestead, but I just don't know if there's interest there. I feel like Richmond, despite being taken off the the schedule, uh, la- was it last year? Yeah. I feel like it still has some life, particularly if IndyCar continues to trend in the right direction. Yeah, you kind of convinced me there. I voted Homestead only because there's been talk of that more recently. I just but Richmond like better fits the profile of IndyCar, a short oval. I mean, that's IndyCar's bread and butter outside of IMS. Yeah. And Homestead is a one-and-a-half-mile oval, which outside of Texas, IndyCar doesn't race at those anymore. And I don't think there's that much excitement for that race if it would happen. I feel like Richmond would draw, I'm not saying a ton, but I think there'd be more people interested in Richmond than there would be Homestead. Well, in Homestead, while it's more built up around that track, I mean, it's very far from downtown Miami and, you know, the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. It's still way south, whereas the track in Richmond is in Richmond. I mean, it's in the city. Really? It's not like it's far out. Yeah. So that's another benefit. So you've convinced me to hey, change my vote here. how about here. that? Uh, I'll go with Richmond, even though I voted Homestead in the poll. So responses here. 
Uh, NK Harden says the LA Motordrome board track would be cool. <laughs> thing was torn down 100 years ago, but RP can rebuild it. May have to wait for wood prices to drop a bit first to make it more viable. Though. That was funny. <laughs> that and, was good. And, you know, there was a board track, too, back, way back in the day in Cincinnati, too. Yeah. To the point that um, there was threats to move the Indianapolis 500 to that board track back in the day if hotel owners stopped uh, price gouging spectators. They were actually consider- this is a this is a true story. So back in the day, uh, for the Indianapolis 500, you know the 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 hotel owners would jack up the hotel prices, just Which like still they do happens now. now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I I think it was Carl Fisher uh, threatened to move the Indianapolis 500 to a board track in Cincinnati uh, because uh, to kind of threaten the hotel owners to say, hey, you won't have any um, you won't have any revenue. I'll just move the race. So I swear uh, that's that's true. I have to find where I read it and I may have even written it in a story back in the day at some point. I'll have to find it. I, this is the, the first I've details. heard of this. This is fascinating. Yeah, but there was a race in a board track in Cincinnati that at one point um, the race was almost moved one year because of price gouging. So you're saying this should be on Lost Speedways? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Which I just watched another one uh, last week. Lost Speedways, uh, very good. I still haven't watched the one with the uh, with then where they come to Indiana from season one. Oh, that, that, one, one that one's interesting. Yeah, yeah I've I've watched season one and I'm a couple episodes into season two. Nice. And there are what six episodes? Is there more episodes of season two or the same amount? Um, I, I honestly don't know. It's probably eight or 10. Nice. Can't wait. Catch it on I love Peacock. the show. Yeah. Good I stuff. Hope, I hope season two, they mix in a little bit different disciplines because it's very stock car heavy in week in mm. season one. So I know that's the bread and butter for Dale Jr. and everybody, but I'd really like to see some, some variations in there. I know they mixed in one that was kind of more of a local track that. I mean, it was a big modified race back in the, I think, the late 70s, early 80s. I want to say in West Virginia um, okay. for season two. They they had the uh, Daytona uh, Beach Course. Yeah. Also in season two. Those are the ones I recall watching. So uh, you wrote in Talladega for yeah. IndyCar. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't IndyCar test at Talladega once? I mean, I'm talking way back in the day. Did they? I, I know they I did at Daytona. Gotcha. But I, yes. I'm not sure on Talladega. All right. We're going to rewind uh, okay. to this board track story. I actually wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> so it is accurate. And it's from Donald Davidson. So I didn't make this up. Okay. So there's a story that I wrote uh, in 2017, May of two, 2017, about the Indianapolis 500 that wasn't the story of the 1916 Indianapolis 500. It's interesting that that race even happened because you got to remember that's during World War World One. World War One, absolutely. So, long story short, um, the nineteen sixteen Indianapolis five hundred was actual a three hundred mile race. It was scheduled for three hundred miles. And um, let's see, the decision to change the racing distance wasn't the only major issue facing. It talks about World War One. Who is this writer? It's just amazing. This story. <laughs> um, you need to link this on the podcast. Yes, account. I do. So, okay, according to David Don, uh, Donald Davidson, <laughs> David Donaldson, um, 
There were 30 entries for the 1916 race, but between no-shows and cars not able to meet the minimum qualifying requirements, which was one lap at 80 mile an hour or more, only 21 took the green flag. Smallest field in Indy history. Wow. Okay. Apart from the shorter distance, perhaps the most fascinating subplot of the 1916 race was the battle between Carl Fisher and Indianapolis hotel proprietors. Similar to the present, hotels in the earlier early 20th century weren't above skyrocketing their prices with huge events in the area. Fisher took exception to this treatment of the fans coming to see his race and threatened to move the 1916 and or 1917 event out of state. According to Donald Davidson, uh, let me see where am I at here. Da-da-da. The alternate site was the Cincinnati Motor Speedway in Sharonville, Ohio. The two-mile venue was a board track, a popular type of circuit in the 1910s and 20s, using wooden planks to pave the racing surface. Board tracks were known for high speeds, Talladega and Daytona-esque high banking and dangerous conditions, but it was cheap and popular at the time and represented a suitable replacement for IMS. So Donald Davidson says whether Fisher was serious or not about about feeling he didn't have to have the race in Indianapolis, no one knows, but it was resolved Fisher got what he wanted from the hotel owners, and the race stayed where it was. So probably a little bit of posturing out of Carl Fisher to get what he wanted. But as for the track in Cincinnati, it closed in 1919 and was raised barely three years after opening. (laughs) So that is the story of the 1916-17 race. It's a fascinating story, and it's, it's propelled by Donald Davidson. I just... You just wrote it down. I just basically wrote it down. But I believe it's a fascinating story... Of the Indianapolis 500, that wasn't. It was. It was set to be a 300 mile race. That's what it was. 120 laps. So wait, but it did happen. It did right? happen because yes. 17 to 19, it was canceled due to World yes, War One. Yes, but so, 1916, it happened, but it was never planned to be a 500 mile race. I'm I'm curious if I can guess the winner here. Uh, I get three guesses. Okay, Howdy Wilcox. No, Gaston he won Chevrolet. In 1919. No, it wasn't Chevro- Gaston Chevrolet. Um, Jules Goo. No. Ah, oh, man. Who is it? It is British-Italian Dario Resta. Ah. Dario Resta. Eddie Rickenbacker uh, led the first uh, nine laps, dropped out due to steering issues. Johnny Aitken was the pole sitter. There you go. He is the all-time winning its driver at IMS. Now, this came up over the weekend because Power won his sixth race at the Speedway. And for a second, a lot of people thought that was a record modern day record but he's actually tied with Kyle Busch as far as race wins and they both have passed uh, Michael Schumacher and Jeff Gordon who had 5 but then also Johnny Aitken is technically the all-time winningest driver at the Speedway as How far as the number of races and uh, he was a World War 1 fighter race too so went off to war after the race and shot down at least five enemy planes. That's what you need to do to become an ace. The winner was Dario Resta, as we said, in three and a half hours, because it was a shortened wow. race, only three, 300 laps. I found this interesting. Despite the successful race, some fans weren't happy. Turns out many people enjoyed races that lasted nearly a half dozen hours or more. <laughs> Fast forward to 2021, and if that ever happened, people are not watching six-hour races. But as uh, Donald Davidson said, uh, after the 1916 race, it was obvious to Fisher right away that he had made a mistake. And of course, when the race came back in 1919, it was planned to be a 500-mile event. Never messed with the mileage again. There you go. But yeah, way off the beaten path, but a bit, a bit of history that uh, I myself had wrote, Donald <laughs> Davidson.
when I sat down with him in that year. So phenomenal story. And yes, that, that, that did happen. Threatening to move the race to the Cincinnati board track in Sharonville, Ohio. All right, back to the podcast. As Sorry, way we off the beaten path. Way off track there, but I was fascinated. I learned some things. I like stuff like that. And yeah, I know you're definitely the historian of the group here between the two of us, <laughs> by far. It was amazing. Guys, I remember that. I read that somewhere. Oh, no, I wrote it. <laughs> so Pretty impressive, though. You're like, yeah, I, I remember reading that. Wait, I wrote it, and you really did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> what, a, what a brag. <laughs> and, you know, because I... I never read my stuff. Like even reading that, I noticed like, man, I could have done this or that. I'm the worst, <laughs> worst reading my stuff. I hate listening to it. I hate reading it. But in that respect, I had to read it because I knew I read that somewhere. It was me. Back on tracks that could. What do we uh, got? Join off, off board tracks and back <laughs> uh, on yeah. regular tracks. Uh, N.K. Harden says looking for Milwaukee and MIS and, and, and a gif uh, there. Again, realistic options. Uh, <laughs> And then I get to another realistic option. Uh, J.B. Walton, 1973, writes Angola, referencing Angola Motor Speedway. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that'll be on the schedule. Let's but that would go. be quite the uh, coup for Angola in Northeast Indiana. Yeah, definitely. Really big economic boost for Angola. It's a, uh, for people not familiar, it's a it's an oval, asphalt oval, um, three-eighths of a mile. So probably super short track. Yeah, so probably seats about three or 4,000. So, yeah, add it to the schedule. A couple other tweets to get to, then we have an email. Poet Shevchenko, without question, the biggest news of the day, Marathi Autosport is going to attempt to run the Indy 500 next year. Yeah, I saw this announcement, and it was not picked up by, you know, your Indy stars, your racers, your motorsports for a reason. There is a reason, yes. Because no one actually believes that's going to happen. No. <laughs> um, it sounds good in theory. Actually, I don't even know if it sounds good in theory. Let me be honest. I don't think this works. No. it's They want to do that crowdfunding thing, which I think they've tried multiple times. Yeah, right? I just don't see people putting money in. I mean, for investors, you also have to give them a return. And so does that mean whatever money you win, you're then going to split amongst your quote-unquote investors? Uh, probably not. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't understand how that's going to do it. So, you know, he's trying. They're trying to prop up this city of Speedway and all this stuff as you know, put it on the map. And I'm like, you know, the Indianapolis 500 is and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is what puts Speedway on the map. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, <laughs> to, you you can try to sell the town all you want, but the only reason why the town why the town exists is because of the Speedway. So, look, I hope it works out. I just don't see it as working out. Also, uh, these from Poet Shevchenko. I just wanted to post a quick rant about how NASCAR bends the whole world about what is, frankly, a flawed package. Splitter catching the grass. Have the tracks pave over everything. Dirty air. Coat the turns in PJ1. Splitters catching all the curbs. Remove the curbs. Nobody, not IndyCar, Xfinity, Trans Am, Ferrari Challenge, etc. Had a problem with the curbs. Let's discuss. Um, I watched the race and then texted you. And we both enjoyed, and he blames the splitters that. as far as the the issue with Which, the, the cup race. Yes, the splitters the issue, but also it's on the drivers for jumping the curb. You know the ch- chicane, you know turn section there is to slow the cars down, and 
if it's not declared out of bounds by NASCAR, then the drivers are going to take the path of least resistance, right? Which would be over the curb. So it's partially on the drivers, but also part also partially on the series. Look, if that's going to be in bounds, quote unquote, then drivers are going to take that and you know shorten that, and it just destroyed the curb to the point that they pulled it up. But uh, it's not the fault of the track. I, I think NASCAR needs to be a little bit. You know, track limits are very important. So if if you're not going to enforce it, then that's what's going to happen. It's just the nature of the beast. But, you know, like you said, it's just, of course, something would go wrong with the first race on the road course. It's just an event that seems to be cursed. Yeah. And to me, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I I hate to say this, but I've, I've kind of been feeling this for a while. As soon as the current NASCAR TV contract ends in, what, 2024, I believe. I don't expect the Brickyard and whatever iteration it is, oval, road course, whatever, air race. Air race. <laughs> I, I don't expect it to be on the, the NASCAR schedule. Look, it, unfortunately, it, it killed the momentum of what was a pretty entertaining race. Like, I was actually invested, interested in that race. A, there was a lot of on-track action going on. B, it wasn't that long. It was shorter than the IndyCar race. IndyCar went, what, 85 laps? Yeah. The cup race was 82 laps. So, like, it was a race where I sat down and said, okay, 15 laps for stage one. I think it was 20 for stage two. So, I was like, I can sit and watch this. Now, of course, after Reds and all that stuff, I quickly lost interest. But it was actually an exciting race up to the point where they destroyed the curbs and, you know, eventually pulled them up. But... You know that that needs to be on NASCAR to say, hey, you have that. That's track limits. If you go over it, you're penalized. I think it's an easy solution. To me, yeah. I mean, you just they enforce it in other series. IndyCar and Xfinity didn't have an issue. They got rid of the turtle, which is that orange bump. You know, after the the Saturday race, as Xfinity cars and even Scott McLaughlin launched over it. Yep. Cup uh, again. They want to embrace road course racing for NASCAR, and I get it. It's something different. But if the drivers can't, you know, play by the rules of the tracks, it's going to look terrible and be an embarrassment. And that's what it was again, unfortunately, on Sunday. It was. Unfortunately, it ended on a bad note, but I thought the majority of the event went off uh, pretty well. And, and I feel like it was racy. I feel like, you know, uh, drivers probably went away from that race feeling a little bit better about the road course than they did entering it. But when you have stupid comments about, you know, Denny Hamlin coming out and say, you know, these tracks are netting millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, which is not true, by the way. Uh, he should take an economics class. And then talking about, you know, the, 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 the la you know, the poor construction of the track and all that stuff, which is also false. Uh, unfortunately, you get a lot of bad narratives out there. Uh, and but that's what you get, I guess, in social media and all realms of things. But um, I, I thought it was a pretty successful event up to then. I just think the next year, hey, you stay on the track, or you take the curb out to begin with. Even though the TV rating was lower, you got to remember the race didn't even finish on NBC, and I think they can clean up some stuff. And 
I don't know. To me, going back to the Oval just doesn't seem like a viable option because I don't think they'd get a better, better crowd. The crowd actually looked decent. I Yeah, I think you know what Doug Bowles said was about 20% bigger crowd than they had on Saturday. I wouldn't be totally against alternating and one year being the Oval and one year being the road course. And I will say it was kind of exciting to watch those stock cars go down into turn one and beat and bang. Because, you know, you can't do that in IndyCar. There's not a lot of bumping, even though we have a lot of issues in Turn 1. But the fact that they were able to go 4-5 or wide into Turn 1 and, you know, be able to bump a little bit and and stuff, I I found it entertaining. So I like the cup race there. Hopefully they make some adjustments and it comes back. I don't know if it's a long-term solution, but I I felt entertained for the majority of that race. All right, an email here, and then we'll wrap up uh, the mailbag for this edition. Uh, This courtesy of Ron from North Carolina. Hey, guys, in my opinion, the race last weekend was a solid seven, was what we have come to expect at the Indy Road Course. It was mostly clean, a few minor yellows. There was some intrigue with the challenge for the lead, and then Will Power ends up winning. It's hard not to be disappointed by the TV rating after recent success, but considering there was no lead-in and it was a Saturday race on cable, it isn't too bad. Yeah, I think we both agree there. Uh, I don't mean to be one of those fans that bashes IndyCar events just for the fun of it, but I can't help but feel that the weekend was a bit of a letdown. All three of the races were good in their own way. I have to admit I thoroughly enjoyed the carnage at the end of the NASCAR race. (laughs) NBC hammered the crossover as much as they could, but it didn't feel like one big weekend. From my perspective, it didn't seem like a big deal. I keep scratching my head trying to figure out why. Maybe all the hype for Nashville ended up overshadowing it, or could have been due to the races being on the road course. I just don't know. I appreciate your thoughts and perspective. Yeah, I think I talked a lot about this at the start of the show. But yeah, Nashville was so heavily promoted that they could never promote this doubleheader between IndyCar and Cup this past weekend as much, and it have the impact, right? I mean, that's that's the first problem. Yeah, I'd agree there. You kind of lose the impact if Nas- Nashville's going to have the budge, uh, budge, the, <laughs> the the buzz, yeah, as well. Again, because it's a first year event in the city, the racing over a bridge. You have all the hype around that, so you're not going to get that for the the week after at IMS. Like he said, it felt like another race, and I agree, it really did feel like another race. That's exactly what you don't w- want to feel when you're racing it at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, isn't it? No. And again, some people are like, well, any day IMS is open, it's a, it's a great day for race fans. I get that. But the point of having an actual race, you need some buzz. It, there needs to be some hype. I mean, this is a track that's hosted you know, over 100 Indy 500s. It's hosted Formula One. It's hosted MotoGP, NASCAR, the Red Bull Air Race. It's hosted, I mean, they're, they have dirt track races there in turn three. And a yeah. quarter mile oval that they built that's going on. So, and I'm sure there are many other events. I mean, they had sports car races as well. They've they've hosted a lot of events, but if an event just feels kind of ho hum there, I mean, it's notable in the fact that it doesn't feel like a big deal. Yeah, I kind of compare it to um, kids and trains. And it's random, but I'll tell you why. So I live, my home is very near train tracks. Not close enough to where my home rattles every time a train goes by, (laughs) but enough to where you can look out uh, on the back uh, door or sit on the back porch and watch trains go by. And my son loves trains when he's growing up and and loves trains. Um, 
but he's gotten used to trains going by all the time. So when his cousins come over and every time they hear, especially when they were younger, would hear a train whistle uh, and the crossing go down, they'd run to the back door and watch. The, oh, it's, it's exciting. It's a train. But my son, who had who sees it every day all the time, wasn't as interested. Yeah, he loves trains, but I could see him all the time. I see, you know, so it loses its cachet. So when you translate that to IMS, you know, if you're having multiple events there, if there's multiple trains going by, multiple races, it loses the impact. It's not as exciting as if you only see him every so often or once, uh, you know. So it uh, it's kind of like trains in my house. You just kind of uh, eventually it's not as exciting as it used to be or it should be because you're spoiled. It's kind of like you think when you visit somewhere with mountains and or a beach, like, oh, yeah. this would be amazing to live here. But then you talk to the people if you're visiting family or friends and like, oh, yeah, it's there. You, you don't notice it as much because, again, you're around it every day. Yeah. And same, you still, same thing. Yeah. And you still appreciate it, but it's not as big of a deal. as It know, doesn't feel as special. Pure and simple. And, you know, like I said, in a perfect world, it wouldn't be a thing if it was up to Roger Penske, I feel. All right. So that wraps up the mailbag. As always, you can send us your tweets or send an email and we'll get to them in the following week's episode. All right. Time for news and notes and a lot of silly season stuff. Um, where do you want to begin? What team? <laughs> um, uh, let's talk uh, my favorite, Hunkos Hollinger. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Trackside Online tipped off that they tested at Sebring, and Kyle Kaiser was the driver, and then Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com also put up an article uh, that they were uh, testing several days ago. Chevy on the car, I think that's notable. That was yeah. who they partnered with in the past. Drivers should be named imminently is what uh, Trackside Online said. And again, that'll be for the West Coast Swing. But Marshall also noted they were seen speaking with Alex Albon during last weekend's road course race at Indianapolis. Of course, several teams speaking with Alex Albon. That included Dale Coyne Racing. Mm. That's because Alex reached out to Grosjean I saw that Grosjean, or, or sorry, Alex Albon was the only one who reached out to Grosjean from the F1 paddock after Grosjean, what, won his pole? Is that right? Uh, yeah, IMS? I think Isn't so. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? I mean, it, it's sad, but it also is very believable. I think way. it shows just how little true camaraderie there is between drivers in the F1 paddock. Like, I feel like they're, it's more like they're acquaintances. It's and, very cutthroat. Whereas IndyCar, yeah. it feels like a family. Like you know, your 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 teammate is your biggest rival in Formula One. It's it's like almost like an oxymoron, right? Everywhere else, your teammate, you know, you rely on them. Whether it's you know a team sport or individual, or your teammate, you know, yeah, you want to beat them, but they're also your biggest ally in a lot of ways. But in Formula One, it's not. And in IndyCar, a lot of times become your closest friends if you're there for yeah. several years together. Absolutely. So I feel like, you know, there are legitimate friendships in IndyCar. And I just feel like there's a lot of acquaintances in Formula One that, yeah, we get along and we're around. But, you know, if you leave tomorrow, you know, we'll never talk again type thing. So the fact that Alex Albon sat in the seat with Dale Coyne, I mean, you know, I'm just going to. Go ahead and say it that he was obviously doing a seat fitting for <laughs> for next year. 
with a Dale seat Korn. fitting with uh, jeans and a t-shirt. Yes, you know <laughs> you you don't want to keep it inconspicuous. You don't want anybody to be tipped off. But I think it was pretty obvious what was going on. Do you think Albon is an IndyCar next year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, why not? Okay. I, I'm kind of feeling 50-50. Yeah, right I'm now. not 100% on it, but if you made me put money on it right now, I would say, yes, he's in a seat. Now, whether he's full-time? I don't see that. I don't I don't think so, yeah. The, the thing is, where are the opportunities for a part-time seat? I mean, you have maybe a, a Carlin second entry. You have the ECR 20 car, the non-ovals there, if Connor Daly doesn't return, which sounds like is a strong possibility. Maybe a coin car. I feel like the most likely is a coin car doing something. I mean, is it a Pietro Fittipaldi? I'm doing three or four races type thing? Maybe. Could be. Um, You know, to kind of dabble in it. I just don't see him doing the full season, and I don't see him doing... Really, the full season minus the ovals. I feel like it's maybe like a four or five race deal or something. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I'd still be surprised at this point if he's an IndyCar next year. It'd be great, but I'd be very surprised. We'll see. I definitely would be intriguing, most definitely. Okay, more on silly season news and rumors. I mean, that's basically going to be the rest of the show, if we're honest, outside of our <laughs> random split era driver of the week and tweets of the week. We have... Uh, motorsport.com uh, david malsher lopez digging deeper on you know the third car and what's happening at ray hall and he says speculation over the identity of the third driver continues to swirl as current meyer shank racing driver jack harvey is hotly tipped to join graham ray hall in 2022 takuma sada remains in talks with the team for whom he has driven for five years four consecutive and scored four wins including the 2020 indianapolis 500 However, the team is known to be looking at options, both series veterans and potential novices. What Bobby Rahal has stipulated is that the third car will be driven by a full-timer rather than a shared road street course driver and an oval specialist. And again, I mentioned that earlier. I don't think that's a surprise. They want consistency there, and it it makes sense to me. So that's the update there. I mentioned Kevin Magnuson earlier. He dreams of racing at the Indy 500. There's a Motorsport article on that as well. I, I didn't feel like there was anything else really noteworthy there. Again, he's with Ganassi and sports cars. We expect him to be a Ganassi IndyCar driver if the opportunity presents itself starting when? What would it be, 2023? Because he's got that Peugeot deal right. for next year in WEC. Also, our one of our favorite teams. So we talked about Hunkos. Our other favorite team, yeah. of course, Carlin. Also from David, David Mulcher Lopez at Motorsport.com. He's, he's, he got a lot of silly season stuff. In fact, he has another one I'll get to after this. A lot of good stuff. But Carlin saying, yes, we'll be in any car, and they expect Max Chilton to be back. This is all courtesy of Stephanie Tyndall, who's their PR manager, wife of team founder Trevor Carlin, probably also, dare I say, the person who has this blocked on Twitter. <laughs> I was about to say that. Is she responsible? Probably. <laughs> I mean, probably. So, again, they're battling for the leader circle money, and good luck there. Because, <laughs> honestly, you look at the standings, they're going to have to rip off some Not looking good. big results to close the season. Connor Daly will be in for Chilton at Gateway. Again, not a surprise. And you look at... 
kind of the options. And uh, Tyndall says Max hasn't definitively said he wants to continue in 2022, but then he hadn't said that by mid-August in previous seasons either. So there's nothing unusual about that. Uh, chances of re-expanding to two cars as they ran in 2018 and 19. Tyndall replied, they're better than last year. I feel like we've weathered the COVID storm. In 2020, we had a European sponsor pull out on the very eve of the season when the pandemic also caused St. Pete to be canceled or eventually postponed to the end of the season. But we already have momentum with the 59 car. So, again, good news either way, it sounds like. With the loss of Gallagher, which they said was expected, but shocked all of us because it just seemed to come out of the blue right before the 500. This sponsorship as well, and uh, kind of mentions guys coming over from Europe and no specific odds mentioned, she says, on running two cars. A lot more promising than at the same point in 2020. Um, yeah, a, a lot of good information in there positive information of course the rumor was going around that carlin was going to pull out of indycar and just do indy lights yep and that's why this article is written obviously. yeah and you know but as carlin you're still if you if you bring back max chilton and i'm sure he brings money it may not be gallagher money but it, he's bringing money uh if you go into another season with just max chilton you're still continuing to spin your wheels because running max chilton only and I know they ran, you know, Connor Daly this year in the Ovals. That combination does nothing for you long term in terms of developing talent, in terms of, you know, increasing your footprint in the advertising sponsorship realm. Because Max Chilton and, and Connor Daly, quite frankly, neither of them move the needle to the point that you're going to, you know, get interested parties or that many. A second car would go a long way towards some sort of long-term development plan for Carlin. And look, they know how to develop, you know, programs. That's that's their junior formulas. That's all they do, you know, overseas. And, and they've been good at it in Indy Lights as well. Right. So I feel like they need to have some sort of natural progression for these Indy Lights drivers that they're developing because they've had success in doing that. and Or, you know, overseas with F2 or F3 or whatever. Um... I feel like that second car is key for the long-term stability of the team. They can still continue to keep surviving with Max Chilton money and fighting over leader circle cash each year, but that's not getting them any closer to relevancy in this series. So hopefully they're able to secure some more sponsors, some more advertisers, and some more capital to add a second car or at least move past Max Chilton because, in a way, I feel like they're almost being held hostage because they need Max Chilton's money that he brings, but Max Chilton isn't doing anything on track to help that team. Yeah, well, and one, how much is he truly bringing because the Gallagher sponsorship ended earlier on this season? I mean, he's they found be... they found alternate sponsors. I mean, that's not been an issue for but them to continue. Have running. they found them, or is that through Max Chilton's dad? I don't know. That's a good point. So are they, even if it's not Max Chilton's dad's money with these companies, but does he know somebody that knows somebody that's giving the money to run his kit? Basically, is Carlin being effectively held hostage by Max Chilton and his father because they're throwing money into the program? And remember, Carlin, they ran two cars at some events last season. They had Sage Karam, I think, at a couple, Charlie Kimball, who ran for them full-time. Remember, when they started full-time in 2018, I mean, Kimball had some really solid results in that inaugural season. So yeah. it's it's not like they were just completely out to lunch and they've always been bad. No, it's 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 just they progressed and I think part of it is simply Kimball's sponsorship money faded. 
he ran less races and, and the team just kind of slowly slipped further and further away from being competitive week in week out and i think they have an opportunity i would look first at guys who are either trying to get to f1 or who find themselves out of an f1 seat whether recently or after the season to me there's a real opportunity there assuming those guys bring a little bit of money i'm not talking like a full season budget but you know what two three million dollars maybe a half season budget right some money to bring and they're talented and they're young so you, you have a fresh perspective they can drive these cars i don't think that'll be the issue get them some testing time in the off season they'll be fine and then you have to think with IndyCar's TV deal starting next year, how much that makes it easier to sell for teams to get sponsors where they can hire talent right. and not necessarily need to bring in someone who's a fully funded guy who, who brings a big check. I mean, that's not really needed anymore for these teams. Now, they may need some sponsorship money, but if you can't sell 13 races out of 17 on network TV, then yeah. you simply can't sell. And you need a different advertising team or sponsorship group. To sell those. Look, you know, I feel like Trevor Carlin and that group has enough contacts in Europe that they need to start playing the game, even if it's three races for four or five different guys. Like, and I know we, we've kitted around in the past, you know, because kind of Carlin looked like this, you know, I think as recently as last year with a bunch of people in the seats. And of course, we talk about Dale Coyne and all that. But if it's bringing over the Christian Lungards and guys like that where, hey, you're going to get a two- or three-race tryout, you have some money behind you, let's see how you do, let's see the potential, maybe we can build this into something. I feel like that is more advantageous for Carlin than just putting Max Chilton and Connor Daly in the seats. I feel like that's not helping you down the line and in the future. I feel like Trevor Carlin has enough people, and now we're seeing you know Lungard again. Alpine was the team that kind of brokered this deal. You're telling me Trevor Carlin doesn't have contacts, not just in Formula One, but also, you know, F2 and drivers that are, you know, run out of options overseas and they have a little bit of money to bring. Does that is that how Carlin, you know, jump starts this program and makes 2022 kind of like a tryout? And we're going to run five different drivers in the 59 and see what sticks. I don't know. I, I just feel like something needs to change. And maybe it is that second car. That'd be great to have for next year. I feel like just the single 59 being split between two drivers that aren't, uh, you know, championship caliber and not consistent race contenders, quite frankly, and I think we've seen enough out of both of them to confidently say that, is not doing anything for your long-term plans. Well, and with 20-liter circle spots, and we expect, what, approximately 26 full-time entries next year, it could be higher I mean, I think either way we'll have at least 25, but I think 26 is a very solid estimate, if not 27 or 28, realistically. I think 26, I mean, things you know change. Teams downgrade. I think 26 seems like a safe bet. So you'll have six cars that won't get leader circle money is what I'm saying after next season. And I hope, hopefully, the leader circle goes up a little bit. Maybe they add 22, top 22 yeah. or something. Which they used to do that, right? Yeah. Or wait, is it top twenty-two? Is Am it, I mixing it? It is top up? twenty-two, I think. Okay, yeah, you're right. Because they're it fighting is over 22. the twenty-second spot this year, yes. which is currently held by Felix Rosenquist. So, Carlin again. Simply put, they want to run a second car. They're further along. Uh, Look, it's 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 good to hear, but and this is early on. This is not like the off season. I mean, we're still 
in the thick of the championship battle. So for them to have that much optimism tells me things are progressing. And that's good. But I feel like also it's easy to be optimistic for next year in August. Um, We'll see come March where Carlin's at. Elsewhere, courtesy of David Molsher Lopez of Motorsport.com, Albon uh, interested in IndyCar. Grosjean is the best salesman, and Coyne says that Albon is on their radar. Again, not a shocker there. Also, Sebastian Bourdais is committed to Foyt. Uh, he wants to stay there. He's taking himself out of IndyCar's silly season discussions for 2022, has not talked to other teams. So good, good for him. And good for I Foyt. would assume Foyt will keep him. if, In fact, Borde says he's ready to commit again to AJ and Larry if they want me. I would think they would. As long as he gets another different teammate. Yes. <laughs> I think that part is clear. Um, who knows who it would be? You know, would it be Tatiana Calderon? Would it be, you know, someone coming over from F1? Would it be someone out of an IndyCar ride at a different team who has a little bit of sponsor money who who comes over they can sell? Who knows? But I would think there will be some changes there uh, for 2022. Let's see. We have so many, so many silly season stories. Oh, and this uh, from Racer.com. Marshall Pruitt, or sorry, this is courtesy of Robin Miller. Ryan Hunter Ray, the comments he's made, I think it's almost definitively you can say he's out at Andretti for 2022. Um, he said, when I signed my driver's agreement last year, my thought was 2021 is going to be my last at Andretti and DHL and probably my last full-time competition in IndyCar. He says, I didn't expect to have such a dreadful year. And he's had some great dialogue with uh, different teams about 2022. So he's trying to find... Right elsewhere, we've heard different things mentioned. You know, Meyer Shank. Um, where else? Eddie Carpenter Racing, that was mentioned by Marshall Pruitt. So a few places. Coin, potentially. Potentially. So again, basically sounds like he is out at Andretti. Again, not a surprise. And looking for something for next year. Also, uh, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star saying, uh, that that was the last we'll see of Top Gun Racing in 2021, uh, last weekend. They do not plan to run Gateway or the three West Coast races. Team owner Bill Throckmorton said they're getting close to some helpful deals for 22 and hope to run a five- to six-race program next year. Hey, let's give some props. We didn't mention it in three things, but didn't qualify last. Yep. Was not embarrassing. No. Um, went out to a mechanical, but... You didn't notice R.C. Enerson last weekend, and I mean that in a positive way. First race ever for the team, and the team didn't embarrass itself. Driver no. didn't. It, it. I think it went well. You would want to finish the race and get more laps for sure, but I, I would say it's a six. I mean, it's a tiny team. Tiny, tiny, tiny. They tiny. sold $1,500 sponsorships that fans could purchase a quote-unquote brick it was, you know, painted on on the side, you know, in, inside the, what, front suspension, basically. Yeah. On the nose of the car. And they sold a lot of those. They made it happen. They showed up for this race. They didn't turn a wheel wrong. No, didn't crash and he's a car. A, he's a solid driver, mind you. I mean, yeah, look, yeah. He, he's tested uh, elsewhere a couple of years ago. It almost seemed like he'd get a full-time ride with Carlin because he tested at Coda for the season, a preseason test, you know, spring training, if you will. And had a sponsor that was, I think, CBD related that didn't get approval by IndyCar. I think Lame. was kind 
kind of part of the issue there. Otherwise, I think he would have had a legitimate shot to be in a, a second car for Carlin. Yeah, so um, it's a good first step. We, we've talked about what the path to IndyCar is, competitive IndyCar racing, and it's that we're going to do a race, and then next year we're going to do a couple races, and then we're going to add a couple more, and then you know eventually get there. So props to Top Gun Racing, which Marshall Pruitt added, you know, in his uh, you know recap of the weekend. You know that budget is what Indy Pro two thousand esque. <laughs> He said, and I don't know if that's tongue-in-cheek or, or reality, but it's a tiny team with not a lot of assets, and for them to do what they did last weekend wasn't sen- you know wasn't sensational, but it wasn't embarrassing. And that's step one, and hopefully we haven't seen the last of Top Gun Racing. Elsewhere, this courtesy of Merrick Speed, uh, Ryan Norman talking with Ryan Marine on IndyCar Radio. Might we see you again in 2021 in IndyCar? And Ryan Norman says, I definitely think so. Can't say with who exactly yet. There's a couple things we're still working out. Interesting. Remember, he ran a race with Coin at Mid-Ohio for his first IndyCar start. Long-time yeah. Indy Lights driver. That's right. And then Jimmy Johnson, this is according to Nate Ryan, Jimmy Johnson is likely moving his oval test from Homestead, Miami to Texas Motor Speedway. Which makes sense. Yeah. Makes yes. a lot of sense. Okay, and then TJ Speed, which we mentioned this, I feel like a month ago we covered this, but they made sort of a more official announcement that uh, they're going to make their Indy Lights debut in 2022. I know they tested earlier this week as well. Okay, that's the Silly Season news. Now we can get to the rumor portion. What do we got? <laughs> what do we got? Did any car deep throat get us, get yes. us any nuggets this week? A lot, a lot, a lot of stuff, and I, I got to keep scrolling to kind of find where Excellent. where everything really started out here. So give me a second. So uh, Latifi, Nicholas Latifi, could come to IndyCar with his backing. That's a kind of possible speculation out Del- there. Remember, Latifi's dad uh, was an investor or is an investor in the Williams team. And is he? Latifi's Canadian as well. Can't forget that. Canadian, yeah. So um, that that plays into it. And do so we expect him to be done at Williams at the end of the year? Um, not sure, but it's just kind of more of a speculation thing. Okay. They and this comes out that Williams no longer needs pay drivers, and I would say that's Latifi. Not that he's been <laughs> bad, but I mean, he he brings a big check. Well, that you know that said though, but would would Williams want to enter twenty twenty two with two new drivers if indeed George Russell goes to Mercedes? Excellent point. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so that's the first little nugget. Um, let's see, let's see here. Sorry, I'm literally scrolling through. Uh, Tim Sindrick not necessarily eager to get someone in the fourth car. Fourth car does remain an option. Simon's set to sign a multi-year, uh, two-year deal with an option to extend with Meyer Shank Racing, which will include a sports car ride as well. I think that's what we expect to to happen, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, and he fits in with the with, sports car side of things. With, with Meyer Shank's team on, on the sports car side and how good Simon is in both disciplines, I think Absolutely. 
Makes complete sense. And I, I feel like it makes sense with Team Penske, and we've talked about it before, Caleb. Team Penske isn't just going to hire a driver for that fourth car just to run a fourth car. If they cannot hire somebody that they feel is competent enough to be a championship-caliber driver for them, they're not going to run four cars. They'll just stick with three. And then maybe next silly season, maybe they do find somebody. So I, I really, at this point, feel that Team Penske enters 2022 running three cars. Keeping it with uh, Meyer Shank, sounds like Jack is or has already been unofficially confirmed at Ray Hall. Also, uh, their two main drivers would be Elio and Simon with a third part-time entry for Meyer Shank. Sources speculate Ryan Hunter Ray could be the third part-time entry throughout next year, including Indy. Uh, Andretti, uh, Rossi still has a contract for one more year. Um, unhappy, though, and wants a move. Again, I don't think that's a surprise. Yeah. Worst case scenario, he stays there next year and leaves. Best case, he gets the third McLaren seat. A buyout would have to happen for that to happen. But think about it. Andretti, who, and we've talked about this. Andretti gets been, the buyout. Who's been saying that stuff? Us. Months. For like almost a year. It almost at this point needs to happen just to legitimize <laughs> everybody who listens to us and thinks 95% of the stuff we say is ridiculous. Yes, but that 5% includes the Rossi thing. And again, I've thought this through and- you know, Deep Throat telling us a buyout would need to be guaranteed as Andretti needs the cash to confirm their upcoming driver lineup next year. Herta, Grosjean, Kirkwood, and then Blank because we don't know who that fourth car would be. But again, you get the buyout, and then you can pay for Grosjean. You already have Herta locked in. Especially Kirkwood, with... if he wins lights, will get the, the bonus there. Yeah. And then the fourth car it can be someone with some sponsorship. You know, could it be Ferrucci if he doesn't get the third Ray Hall ride? Could Which, that... I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, you're looking at it. Uh, you know, we've heard you're losing DHL. That's a huge hit. Yeah. And, you know, Na- Napa continues to shrink its involvement. Correct. So when you're looking at the dollars and cents, what D- IndyCar Deep Throat is saying makes a lot of sense in terms of Andretti Autosport losing a lot of capital in the sponsorship realm. Meanwhile, at Penske, three full-time cars next year, a fourth at Indy uh, for Chip Ganassi, Dixon, Plo, Marcus Erickson, Jimmy Johnson, also, Jimmy Johnson signed a three-year deal, not a two-year deal, with Chip Ganassi Racing. I didn't know that either. So, I mean, that was news to IndyCar Deep Throat. News to me, I assumed it was a two-year deal. So I think that says a lot. Nice. Nothing really on Albon. Um, I have not heard that Sato's retiring. Last I talked with Ray Hall, uh, or with uh, someone talking about Ray Hall, uh, back for next year. Also, let's see. And I feel, too, that, you know, it would be much easier to and take the two-time Indy 500 winner out of it if, if Sato wasn't bringing the attention from Honda and, you know, sponsors and all that. It'd be much easier to kick him to the curb. But I think for those factors as well, as I don't think Sato is going anywhere. Uh, hearing rumors that Connor Daly might not return to ECR for 2022, IndyCar Deep Throat, I think, has told us that couple of times, sponsorship deal there. Not a surprise. Um, trying to see if there's anything else. There's just uh, Bourdais set to come back at Foyt. Yep, we mentioned that via Motorsports. Hey, can I jump in real quick as yeah. I'm scanning uh, Wikipedia? And yes, it's Wikipedia. I understand this. But they have Hunkos Hollinger Racing listed rounds 14 through 16 with Kyle Kaiser listed as the driver. 
I mean, considering he did the test, yeah, I, would, I think I it's would, a safe bet. I would think it'd be Bush if they had him do the test <laughs> and like, hey, can you shake down this car and then we're going to go hire somebody else? Yeah, we're going to we're going to go to the highest bidder, you know, for the actual races. But if you can do the test, that'd be great. But if you're going to use it as a true tryout, whether it's Kyle Kaiser or whoever, to put one driver in for all three races is kind of interesting. Yes. I would and... think you'd use it. But, you know, that's just something thrown up. But what else we got from IndyCar Deep Throat? Let's see. Again, more talk on Latifi. Uh, more than set to join IndyCar next year. One person suggested a link to Dale Coin Racing. I think that would make sense. I mean, look, I expect... Coin to have a completely new driver lineup next year, don't you? I mean, Grosjean, we think, is gone. I would be surprised if Ed Jones is back in the Vassar-Sullivan partnered entry with Dale Coin Racing. I mean, it would take a huge, huge bounce back the final few races of the season for him to stay. I mean, Grosjean probably gone, but at the same time, you know, when we talk about, uh, was it Olivier Boisson? Yes. Uh, his engineer with... Him wanting to stay with him, and Andretti's kind of saying we don't want him, just you. That was the rumor via IndyCar Deep Throat. If that's true, Andretti Autosport, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> what are you doing? Come on. Uh, it's it's obvious you need to make some engineering changes yes. anyway. And more than just, I mean, driver lineup, engineering, management, I mean, a lot of changes. Yeah. I mean, probably pit crew. They clearly need to do a complete rethink for some of the teams there. Yeah, if you're not willing to bring on Olivier Boisson, and I just intentionally said his name again because it's fun to say yeah and you said it well yeah thank you and um so if that's the hiccup then uh, you're silly andretti autosport but does that leave the the door slightly open to return to coin and if not has coin found a new uh way to approach things is okay i know there's going to be one at least one former f1 driver a year that's probably going to be looking to come over here so we'll just be the pipeline now Will all of them perform at the level that Roman Grosjean has? Probably not. But at the same time, you know they're going to bring at least some money and have a load of open-wheel racing experience at the highest level in the world. And then uh, lastly, Connor Daly could be full-time at Carlin next what? year. Remember, IndyCar Deeper has kind of mentioned to us that Daly could end up at that team but it came down to the Air Force apparently not wanting to be a sponsor on a British-based you know, team, <laughs> I which about that. completely makes sense I get to it. me. You, I mean, I understand the Air Force being affiliated with an American driver. That's that's a no-brainer. But also I understand the optics of wanting to be with an American-based team. Completely get it. I mean, I get it, but it's not like, it's not like you're a U.S. team and you have Russian flags on your cars. <laughs> oh, wait. Haas. <laughs> but, there is a team that does that. But yeah, but you know, but you know, it's not Russia, it's not China, it's an actual ally. Okay, I mean, if we're 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 taking the big picture, I mean, Britain's an ally. It shouldn't be that 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 big of a deal. But you know, okay, I see it, but I also, you know, kind of scoff at it too. But and then f- and then a couple other notes. James Hinchcliffe still has ties to his sponsor Genesis. Still looking for a full time ride for next year. Obviously won't be with Andretti. Two teams that Hinch has approached, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, and Dale Coyne Racing. Ray Hall seems very unlikely. Again, Coyne, I think I kind of mentioned that as a landing spot a few weeks ago. It makes sense. He brings some money. You know, that could slot into one of the entries. And then uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, 
uh, news, and we'll probably have that next week. IndyCar Deep Throat uh, saying a source has not revealed the exact thing, but I have some news on ECR. That's where we're at. Very nice. Great update from IndyCar Deep Throat. I almost feel like the silly season rumors are more exciting to talk about than the actual news. Well, like, yeah, that's how we get through the off season. I know. It's like, you know, once they start naming drivers, I'm like, yeah, okay. Not as fun as, you know, all the <laughs> Unless it's like a situations. shocking announcement. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. Like uh, Botas to Penske. <laughs> oh, that's in the bag. No. Okay. I'd be shocked. Okay, couple other notes. Uh, basically, the West Coast Swing promoters telling David Mulsher, Lopez, and Motorsport.com the final three races are a go, despite worries based on COVID. Full speed ahead. So let's hope it stays that way because you kind of get concerned, you know, considering how things are trending. Unfortunately, we're, uh, is it safe to say we're, we're actually have been still in unprecedented times? We are. We just, we thought. We were returning it was precedented. to precedented, but now we've, we've aimed. Although, you know, it, it, it's not as bad as it was. I don't see it ever getting bad, as bad as it was, at least no. with the current strains. And, um, you know, just go get your vaccine, uh, mask up when they ask you to, and then you will be perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, when the current breakout and you're seeing what 99% of those hospitalized are unvaccinated, uh, you feel pretty good if you are vaccinated that, yeah, True. you may get it, but it's not going to be that bad. So, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like we're we're going back in the deep end of unprecedented times. But, you know, we're dabbling in the shallow end at this point. <laughs> we're in the waiting pool, the kiddie yeah, pool. Yeah, we're in the kiddie pool <laughs> of unprecedented times. It's a hotel. You can stay at it. <laughs> <laughs> unprecedented times hotel. Yes. Um, what else you got? Okay. A couple other quick things. Uh, this courtesy of the Team Cooper Tire account on Twitter and Rob Howden. It says, I fully expect that 2022 will see the largest combined grids in the history of the road to Indy. It mentioned 16 to 18 cars and lights. We've kind of heard that number thrown around. We're, you know, we're always skeptical. Yeah. But he kind of came through for this year. Yeah. And with the new team added and some teams you know, looking to expand, and uh, is it that another team also could come back for next year? Is I that right? I thought they said at least one team could be stepping up from the middle part of the ladder up to lights. Okay. So that's another thing. But, you know, it was fascinating because, you know, I went back with Rob Howden a little bit after he put that out. Yeah. And, you know, what's what's the, you know, is is the growing IndyCar fields having a trickle-on effect or is it completely different or or what? And he went through a, a couple different scenarios and, and what's going on. And then you and I started talking and with all the outcry with the Freedom 100 going away, yet we're seeing the fields grow. So if the jewel of the Indy Light season was Freedom 100 and you're taking that away, conceivably there would be some impact on the car count. But we're seeing a complete opposite. We're seeing more cars come in. So is it, you know, you don't need as big of a budget because we're not running the Freedom 100? Um, are you seeing more interest from European drivers and other disciplines that may not be as experienced in oval racing? So they feel a little bit better entering Indy Lights because you're not racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 
I feel it's a definite factor. So despite, you know, all the disappointment, oh, no, no in uh, Freedom 100, I feel like it's benefiting Indy Lights. And we were told at the time Penske viewed it as a safety issue as far as getting rid of the Freedom 100 at the track. And Rob Howden said, well, it shouldn't really impact the budgets a whole lot. But you can't convince me that that's not impacting the budgets. I mean, that just greatly reduces the price. Yeah. How can it not? Great, yeah. You're you're not destroying cars and tubs and all that at the high speed oval. You're not having drivers that yeah, I want to get into um, you know the road to Indy, but quite frankly, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is terrifying for me at this point because I have very limited oval experience, and there's not like there's a lot of testing for Indy Lights at ovals. So yeah, by and large, I think it's been a positive for you know for the the series, and I know people are still going to be clamoring for that to come back. And yeah, it was you know exciting as part of Carb Day, but I think it's meant more for the series growth to not have that race. All right, last note before we get to your random split era driver of the week, Elio Castroneves inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America, one of the 2022 inductees. Uh, first year inductee. Apparently, that is very rare. Determined by 200 voters, half current members, half journalists. And Elio was voted in before he won his fourth Indy 500, oh, wow. according to Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. That's, that's, that's the impressive, impressive part. Yeah, because yeah. I would think, of course, he's first ballot after winning his fourth, but amazing that it was before that. All right. Time for uh, your time to shine here. Well, I'm going to touch on something real quick that you said we weren't going to touch on this this uh, this podcast, and oh. that's Kyle Larson. Okay. Um, did you hear Roger Penske last night <laughs> at the event on the dirt track? I saw the video. He knows what he's doing. He's know what he's doing, and I just thought it was uh, a, an interesting nod to look. It would be exciting if Kyle Larson does the 500 at some point, and we fully expect him to do it. Is it needed? No, uh, for Kyle Larson to do it. It was just, uh, you know, Roger Penske knew exactly what he was doing. When, and if you didn't see it, check it out. Find it on Twitter where Roger Penske addressing the crowd and, you know, he said something what to the effect of, you know, maybe we'll be able to find the next Indy 500 driver in this field. And he was like, you know, do you guys know of anyone? And obviously talking <laughs> about Kyle Larson. Uh, so it, it was just kind of a cool moment with uh, because then, of course, Roger Penske was asked about it and he was very coy and even talking today. And, you know, I'm not in the business of, of you know, tracking down drivers like that and all that stuff. But, yeah, Roger Penske knew exactly what he was doing. So it, it was it was kind of interesting. It was a, it was a funny moment last night. I find it also interesting that in most other sports, players, team owners, coaches will all claim they don't read you know, the stuff, but this is an obvious example where it's actually a nod to Robin Miller's column <laughs> from racer.com earlier this week on that. Yeah. And, you know, Dinger with a great shout out to Robin Miller and also mentioning Bob Jenkins after he won the, uh, can I still call it the brickyard? I'm yeah. still going to call it the brickyard. I mean, they crossed the yard of bricks. That's true. So after he won the brickyard and then Penske, you know, kind of, making light not really making fun of the column but you know a funny a good moment yeah and i think that's i think that's cool yeah absolutely so uh, we we will see kyle larson in indianapolis 500 at some point but am i losing sleep over if it's going to be 2022 or 2031 no no not at all no all right you ready for our uh, split era random driver of the week i am very ready 
Okay, let's travel down memory lane, and we're going to go to Team Cheever in 1999. How's that sound? Team Cheever in 1999. Okay. Do you remember the illustrious Wim Ekmans? What? (laughs) I'm going to take that as a no. Wim Ekmans. I think that's how you say his name. E-Y-C-K-M-A-N-S. Ekmans, maybe? He's Belgium. He's Belgian. (laughs) He is Um, Belgium, the country. He is Belgium. (laughs) That's his slogan. He's all around Belgium. I am Belgium. Uh, <laughs> a Belgian race car driver. Um, he w- he's been karting since 1986. Uh, he participated in Formula 3000 in 94, 95. Ran Indy Lights in 1988 or 98. Excuse me, 1998. And in 1999, he competed in the Indianapolis 500 on behalf of Chiva Racing. Of course, 1999 saw uh, a lot of entries into the Indianapolis. 500. In fact, as I'm going through, um, when I'm looking at partial entries, some 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 fabulous teams in here, and including, uh, uh, well, let's see, we got Blueprint Imkey Racing, uh, Sinden Racing. I remember Sinden Racing. Now, Sinden Racing for a long time had ties to the two seater, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Yeah. Okay. There's some sort of connection there. They ran Robbie Buell in 1999. Uh, Cobb Racing, Metro Racing. That's a, you know, of course, Stan Waffles. A Firestone failed to qualify. Yeah, <laughs> Nick Firestone. Yeah. Um, so, and that's just the partials. So you know, you have Cahill Racing in there with Donnie Beachler, uh, ISM Racing, Team Extreme. <laughs> so it goes on and on. But uh, in terms of Mister Wim. Um, let's see. He he qualified for the 1999 Indianapolis 500, and he finished 23rd. It's actually pretty impressive. Uh, and that was his only race in IndyCar. IRL, CART. It was his only race. 2000, he's listed as did not participate in the Indy 500. Yeah, I don't so. even know why that's listed. Like, okay, he wasn't there. So I, I don't get that one. Um, uh-huh. I'm looking to see on, uh, with Cheever's team if there's some sort of you know, connection there. Eddie Cheever ran all the races. He's the only driver for the 2,500 for Team Cheever. Yeah, so I, I don't know if, if if they had like a, you know, they had a second car obviously for Indy and maybe good old Wim brought some uh, some money. I don't know. But uh, that was his one and only Indy car race or, you know, IRL cart race. Uh, he raced for Brian Stewart Racing in Indy Lights in 1998. That was actually and, a good lights team, right? Yeah, Back in it the was day. decent. And uh, did only three races, Vancouver, uh, Laguna Seca, and Fontana in 1998. And his top finish was 12th of Vancouver in 1998 for Indy Lights. And finished 23rd in the 1999 Indianapolis 500. Let me look real quick to see where he started. Starting grid. Started, I don't think... 29th <laughs> middle of row uh, row 10 10 yeah so moved up during the race so pretty impressive the you know the people behind him johnny unser dr jack miller the Robbie racing B- dentist yes. who visited my elementary school in fourth grade with the crest car they brought the car well i mean it was a show car oh okay but still that's but where some you f- some kid when when dr jack asked uh you know, how many times should you brush your teeth a day? And some kid, I don't remember who it was, like three times. And I'm like, 
Is he stupid? Like, I remember thinking, is he stupid? It's That's twice asinine. a day. <laughs> yeah. Brushes, what freak brushes yeah. their teeth three times a day. And he's like, well, that'd be, I think Dr. Jack Miller said, like, well, that'd be great, but you only need to do it twice a day or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, Dr. Jack Miller in the final row with Robbie Buell and Raul Bozell. Raul so, Boisel, yes. Yes. Yeah, so, Wim Ekman's heck of a drive. Uh, in that 1999 Indianapolis uh, 500, I don't, I don't even. Let's see if he, he actually finished the race. Oh no, he went out. Let's see. I don't know what lap, but that uh, that pesky timing chain on lap <laughs> 113 took him out of the race, unfortunately. But that's uh, Wim Ekman's. He now runs uh, per Wikipedia runs a successful karting company. Huh. Um, back in Belgium. Back I in wonder Belgium. if. Uh... He had any ties or, you know, coaching to a Bertrand Baguette, another ah, Belgian IndyCar driver. Yeah, another Belgian IndyCar Who led the legend. Indianapolis 500. He did. Yes, he did. Before <laughs> having to pit. That That's late, right. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, with less than 10 to go. Yeah. So, In 2011, I think. Or was 20, it that long ago? 2011 or 2010. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Wow. So there it is. Your random, obscure, split-era driver of the week, Wim <laughs> Ekmans out of... Belgium. Think about how many different layers there are to this. Random split era <laughs> driver of the week. <laughs> it's great. I, I mean, one of these days we're going to hit on one of these drivers, you know, tweeting us or something. Uh, I'm waiting for it. <laughs> so we got to have some of these guys on in the off season because I'm, I'm sure most of them will be a lot of fun having them. For sure. It's all about tracking them down. Where would I start to get a hold of Wim Ekman's? Social no media. Idea. That's true. I want to start there. For him. All right. Sweets of the week. I'll keep it quick and simple. There are three of them. Uh, 500 Indy 1911. Jimmy Johnson out-qualified Scott Dixon. Jimmy Johnson out-qualified Scott Dixon. Jimmy Johnson out-qualified Scott Dixon. <laughs> That's the biggest uh, biggest story out of the weekend. This from Indy 44. Uh, so uh, Basso 488 tweeted uh, 10 years ago today it's the willpower double birds gift from new hampshire and then indy 444 tweeting fitting uh willpower wins on the anniversary of the greatest indy car gift of all time <laughs> and uh, i know which one you're talking about joseph newgarden uh replying to jr hildebrand who uh, mentioned okay yes i'm watching john wick at 8 a.m let me live and newgarden replied you were great in that <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah and then it's the uh did did they post like the script, the uh, picture and changed it, or was yeah. it just his picture? Well, Indy Forty Four posted uh, with uh, Keanu Reeves' yeah. head on, on JR's J- fire yeah. suit. In absolutely, JR I haven't seen any of the John Wick movies. Have I have not either. I mean, I've heard good things, but I just Same. haven't watched them. All right, well, that wraps up. A, wow, a marathon episode. Just of when a you new think track we record couldn't podcast. talk anymore, <laughs> but it's all longer. good stuff, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're having fun. It's better that than us entering a show going, I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> That's happened before. It has. And yet we've still produced a solid hour out of those shows. For sure. All right. Well, next week, of course, we'll be back to recap uh, the race at the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. So for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks again for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.